It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This Ace Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Go Hayes, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. It's a Friday leading into a weekend. It's beautiful out. Summer right around the corner. We got the A's in Houston for three, and then they're going to be up in the Pacific Northwest for four. So for us here at A's Cast Live, uh, there are times during the year when it is nice to get a little more home time and not be at the ballpark every single day. Not that we don't like going to the ballpark every day, but it is nice to get a little uh, home cooking. Can you turn my headphones up a little bit? There you go. So it uh, it is nice. Nice to be here for the next uh, next week as we get you ready for a, a lot of base and a lot of things going on in Major League Baseball as we speak. We have a terrific show for you today. Moses Messina, our buddy from MLB Network, will be here at 2.15, his Mets. Not great for the Mets right now. Verlander getting booed at home. The only guy hitting home runs is Pete Alonzo. Buster Olney and Carl Ravitz on the podcast today panicking about Mark Hanna, or as, or as Carl called him, Mark Canna. And it's Canna. I know. And, it's uh, Canna. And he called him Sterling Marte. It's Sterling Marte. But uh, I thought you guys will know that. Your Mets. As in Sterling Silver? Yeah. So people are panicking about that, but the big one, booing Justin Verlander. Uh, not a good look. Things aren't going great for well, the Mets. Well, I mean, he has no sweat equity. With, he has no sweat equity with them. I'm not shocked. He hasn't won the fan base over yet. It's New York. So we'll talk to Moses at 2:15. Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist at 2:30. Has he weighed in on what he wants to delve into today? What he's working on? No, I haven't heard from him yet today. Jeff Blum. Cal Bear, World Series World Series hero, now television broadcaster for the Houston Astros, Jeff Blum. We're going to play some – how do we want to put it? Nostradamus. So we wanted some – Blummer Domus. Blummer Domus. Blummer Domus. We're going to play some Blummer Domus today for you. As he predicted exactly what 
has been going on. Blummer Domus. I love that. And then at 4 o'clock, brought to you by nestbedding.com. Love where you sleep. You need a mattress. Support our sponsors. Go to Nest Bedding. You'll love it. Deliver it right to your house. Mark Katze will be here at 4 o'clock. And Mark Katze is, it's rough. It really, I mean, I have all the numbers for you. And nothing that I have, for the most part, when it's team-wise, are good. And he knew what he was signing up for. But to me, if I was him, and it's a lot easier for me because there's no record associated with me. There's no wins. There's no losses. There's no 10 and 35. There's none of that. But if you want to get out of the dark... And you want to head towards the light, there's only one way out of this. And that's the younger players growing, coming together, and winning. And he's going to tell us a story, because we have taped this already. He is going to tell us a story about young players going to dinner last night. And I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, that's the way things change. If all of a sudden the A's start winning games, I'm not saying a ton of games, and we're going to have and we're going to keep people straight. I'm not I know I'm not. I know I have it on this show or the post game show when people try and be like, "Well, everything's okay or this team's going to win and this team No, we're not going to sugarcoat you. We have a we meaning you and me have a reputation to keep up. Journalistic integrity? No, honesty. That's what we've built. That's what I've built my reputation all these fans. I'm honest. Yeah, I'm going to be root, root, root for the home team, but I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to sit here and tell you this team's going to win. That's literally ridiculous. I would, I mean, if if I was you and I turned on this program and I was sitting here going, I'm going to tell you, I think this team's going to win. I, I It's right around the corner. I would turn it off and not come back. That's awful. That is, that, I mean, you have to have critical thinking. You have to be able to analyze what you're seeing in front of you. Yeah, you're going to be root, root, root for the home team, but you have to be able to be honest on what's going on. Because if you're not honest, what are you? To yourself. Forget the team. To your own career. What are you? If you're going to sit here every day and lie, I hey, things are great. What? Things are going to get better. What? They're 10 and 35. It's historic bad. You're trending worse than the Mets of, what was it, 68 or, you know, 60, 62. 62? They were 42. Oh, that's right. They won the World Series in 69. They were 42 and 120. It's terrible. But how do you get out of it? Well, let's talk about that. I, I, I'm all in on talking about that. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, yeah, hey, hey, I really, I really like how things are going. What? The manager's not happy. The GM's not happy. So why the hell would we be happy? There's no reason. It's just going to be straight honesty. But there are some good things, and we highlight the good, uh, good things. I mean, like one of the, one of the craziest things going right now as we speak is Ruiz and how he's hitting with runners in scoring position. He's hitting 455. 
That's fourth best in all of Major League Baseball. To go on top of the fact that he's on pace to steal 72 bags. So we questioned in spring whether this guy could even get on base. Well, he's doing more than just get on base. He's stealing bags. He's driving in runs. His defense is questionable, but you can work on that. In a season like this, perfect time to work on it. But the way he hits and the way he gets on base and what he can do, but the steals don't shock you. What shocks you, he's hitting 455 with runners in scoring position. That is amazing. I can dig some of this stuff up. But like we said, gotta be gotta be honest. And I'm just gonna warn everybody. You know, I, I know I will I will have to if 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 one of our colleagues or anybody tries to go on that route, you gotta be like, whoa, Jack, come on. What are we talking about here? You can't sit like if Cody's sitting here going, hey, I you know, turn it around. Like <laughs> Well, I mean, seeing that they've Hey, win two in a row. Well, they've only done that once. Win two in a row, then three in a row. Win three in a row, which has not been done this year, and then tell me you may see something coming. Yeah, uh, if you want some more positive, Ken Waldachuk's on the mound today for the green and gold in, uh, in his last six starts. See, are... th- this needs to be tongue-in-cheek. But, but, but I even told Kotze this. Last six starts, he's 5-1. and one. As a team, they're 5-1. and one. Yeah, you just said 5-1, and one, then you corrected yourself the team. Yeah, well, yeah. The, I said T- the tongue in cheek. I said the green the te- and gold are five and one. Team has been able to win some games despite his start. I mean, five of the of five of the ten times they've won this year, Ken Waldachuk's been on the mound. That's that's just fact. I mean, I'm not going to start here and go. I said this on post game. We're not going to sit here and go. This is win day, but I don't know if he wins again tonight. We got a trend going. Well, if the team wins tonight, not him. He only has one win. Yeah, I, like I said, tongue in cheek. We got to we, we gotta be honest to our, our listeners, right? I mean, otherwise you're treating them like they're idiots. We're, I don't want to be idiots, and I don't want to treat you like – and I don't want to insult you like you're a bunch of idiots. I don't want to insult your intelligence. That's how I wanted to start the show today. You have, you have our commitment to, to, to do what's right for you, the listener, for this program, and for this team. And I can tell you right now, they know. I I recently asked a player about something, and it was right around the cage, and I went up and asked him, and he gave me a really poignant answer and mentioned, hey, man, I know what the run differential is. I didn't even, wasn't even asking about run differential. I wasn't even asking about stats. I was asking about health. Shortening of games means less guys being on their feet, less playing, is it helping whatever? And it turned into this player, one of the ace players, saying, hey, I know what the run differential is. So they know. There's no secrets here. And that's not how you get better. You do not get better in life by lying to each other. You don't get better by not recognizing what's wrong and not trying to fix it. Just showing up every day with your favorite song, from from uh, Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. We can't do Jesus take the wheel here. You're gonna be too late on that. There's no way. Oh no, I realize I have the wrong date on our show today. I put May 18th. That's my so date. there's no way to do Jesus take the wheel and everything's gonna be okay. That's not how it works in Major League Baseball. You've got to identify what the problems are, and then you gotta fix it. But I will say this. 
I, I do enjoy when I see the young guys play right now. And the young guys, and it's going to be uh, Moses Messina who's going to join us in moments. They're the complete opposite in New York. They've got the highest payroll in the history of baseball. There has never been a payroll higher. I, I forgot to check the uh, – hold on. I have the standings up on my phone because I was talking about how the Mariners stink. Um, load. All righty. The record for the New York Mets is 22-23, and 23, six games back. Is that the same record as the Mariners? You've got the highest payroll in the history of Major League Baseball. And you're a game under 500. I mean, it's a, we, we've talked about the amount of money that the Phillies are spending at 20 and 23, the Mets at 22 and 23, the Padres at 20, the Padres at 20 and 24. When they've guaranteed eight hundred and sixty-three million dollars over the next eleven or whatever so years, you're starting to sniff a billion. And if they're going to be in on, if they're going to sign Juan Soto long term, or they've been in on everybody, they go in on Otani. That number will be over a billion dollars. That this next ten years will be guaranteed to players over a billion dollars. Yeah, that's not, it's not good, and you're playing so poorly. And I guess Soto has been playing a little better, but for five hundred million, I don't know. And you want to get Otani? It's it's rough sledding down there in San Diego right now, and, and it's just not getting easier for them. And Blake Snell's on the mound tonight. Your guy. Let's see. Over under four innings for him tonight. I need yeah from a fan <laughs> from a fantasy perspective. I need six. Well, and 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 just knowing a little bit about. That relationship, you know, A.J. Preller and Bob Melvin. I mean, A.J. Preller is a guy that somehow, someway, for all these years, has been allowed to run this organization the way he has, almost like fantasy baseball. I mean, if this goes on, will you be shocked if all of a sudden we get news that Bob Melvin's out in San Diego? Uh, Unfortunately, no, I will not be. And knowing and just knowing Bob the way I do and knowing how their relationship is already and just, what, two years into this thing? I mean, A.J. Preller, it's somehow, way, Peter Seidler, the managing general partner, the owner of the Padres, has just given this guy a blank check and allowed him to do whatever he's wanted to do for many, many years, and they've won nothing. They haven't won the division. Last year, they made a run in the playoffs, which was great for their fan base, but still they haven't won anything. And now, you, as we just said, you're spending $863 million has been guaranteed to free agents, and it's been guaranteed to extensions in the next 10, 11 years. And you're this far under five hundred. I mean, at some point, something's going to have to happen in San Diego. And nothing's going to happen yet in New York. Let's go to Moses in New York. I want is is Moses right now at the? Uh, are you are you at MLB Network as we speak, my friend? No, I'm at, in my apartment, uh, going in a little later, um, working on the eleven to twelve thirty MLB tonight. So that'll be fun. Yeah, you know what? I I noticed you're not working high heat anymore. No, no, yeah, they put me on the MLB tonight side, so I've been doing a lot of MLB tonight's. 
And then also producing these uh, MLB Tonight Clubhouse Edition games where, you know, it's kind of like a Manning cast type deal where we have uh, Sierra Santos who hosts Intentional Talk, Chris Young, and CeCe Sabathia on um, while we have a game on. The most recent one was Mariners Red Sox on um, Wednesday. And we actually had uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and Pedro Martinez on for pretty much innings three through eight. So that was fun hearing, you know, four baseball players, two Hall of Famers, one future Hall of Famer, just discussing the game of baseball. So it was a lot of fun. So obviously this is something that we all care about because we all love watching sports. We like watching television and we like to see the innovation, as we know. I mean, what we're doing right now on mm-hmm. AceCast Live, things are changing around us, how we deliver our product and our message to fan bases. The Manning cast was brilliant. You had mm-hmm. two. You had two brothers. Obviously, Peyton Manning's one of the greatest players of all time. Eli is no slouch himself. He'll also be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, winning two Super Bowls, and just their kind of New Orleans stick, Southern good old boys. It changed television. It's amazing how. One thing is successful, then everybody wants to replicate it. Just talk about how much you think just the Manning Monday Night Football Manning cast has changed other sports. It's changed other sports because I think we all realize we do not watch the game the same way. Um, We do not just set the game on, you know, if it's Monday Night game, uh, Mariners Red Sox game, you know, even the NBA playoffs. We don't just sit there and watch it and that's it. We're on our phone. We're looking at Twitter. We're looking at Instagram. We're looking at different social media things, especially if an event happens and we kind of want to hear it. Look, you know, Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, um, you know, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, the guys that do the Red Sox, Dave O'Brien and Kevin Euclid, I believe it was the other day. They're all great announcers. They're great teams. But, you know, especially in baseball, when you hear those announced teams for 150 some odd games, you do want a different perspective and sometimes you want to change it up in football. It's a little different. Like I do like the Manning cast when it's not my team, but the giants are playing, <laughs> I'm tuning into Buck and Aikman. Yeah. Um, when, you know, so similar to that, that if it was a big Mets game, I probably would not want, you know, our alternate broadcast, but when it's a regular game, yeah, I'd want to hear from like CC and CY and Pedro and um, Ken Griffey Jr. just talking about the game, especially just getting their little nuances about other things that have happened around the game. And also we had Bryce Bayo on the mound for the Red Sox and Pedro actually like taught him and says he has better stuff than Pedro had when he was that age. So it's an interesting perspective. And I think that's where the evolution goes. Like we've seen all these broadcasts and all these announcers for a long time. Let's just give a different voice, a different perspective for, you know, one out of the 150 or one out of the 16 or one out of the 82. It's like we're being conditioned now and we're starting to understand also from a fan perspective. I don't need you to tell me about every single pitch. Mm-hmm. Strike two, ball three, the two, right. two. Like, 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 It's like the same thing. Like when you're watching the Manning cast and they can be talking about plays, even though a different play is going in the game, they can be talking about other things. 
I, I can walk and chew gum. I can see a quarterback <laughs> drop, dropping back to pass, and I can still be following a story. Let's say Brett Favre's in with them, and they're talking about some crazy story. I can see the play-by-play and still be interested in what Peyton Manning and Brett Favre are talking about. Now, looking at baseball, if you got like Griffey and Pedro talking about something – I don't need the play-by-play guys have always been very afraid to. I have to tell you about every pitch. I have mm-hmm. to tell you baller strike, baller strike. It's like we see it. I, mm-hmm. I want to hear Pedro and Griffey. Right, right, yeah, and, and you know the game we did on Wednesday, it was actually a blowout. So we actually sometimes just cut away from the game. We like roll in highlights of other games. Um, we rolled in video of Pedro and Griffey, things like that, and. We got away from it, but it is funny with a baseball player, they'll still lock in like there. We were having a whole conversation and Pedro kind of locked in, you know, hey, wait a second. Bayo's in trouble here. He's walked a couple of guys. He has a big lead. I want to see him focus and blah, blah, blah. Later in the game, Griffey pointed out, hey, you know, J-Rod's up here with the bases loaded. So even though they may be talking about stuff, they're still baseball players and they still can, to your point, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time, but if they see a big spot, they're like, all right, well, wait a second. I want to check in on this. So I agree. Um, Sierra Santos, who hosts our clubhouse games, that was her big thing when we like started. She feel, she asked after each time we did it, she was like, do you think I should be telling a score and what's going on? I was like, we have a scoreboard. There's yes. a score bug. There's everything. You don't have to tell them unless, you know, we got away from it a little bit. Then you just say, hey, you know, Mariners added on a run here. It's now nine to one or something like that. All righty. What's going on? 22 and 23, the biggest payroll in the history of baseball. I mean, Scherzer's hurt, but he's going to battle through it. Uh, Verlander's getting booed. Verlander's never really gotten booed in his career at home. Your guys are looking old. I mean, what is going on with the New York Mets? You guys, I thought you guys won the World Series at the winter meetings. You know, the funny thing, we did an MLB tonight last week, and Adnan Verk did his AV files, which usually is a, another look at something around the game. And what he clued in on was the worst team money can buy, which was the 1992 Mets, which at the time had a record high payroll. So we, you know, paralleled the two. And it's funny enough that 1992 team actually was off to a pretty decent start. And they were actually only like a game and a half out of first place at the point we are now at now. And then things fell off the table. Saberhagen got hurt. You know, Bobby Bonilla was getting booed at home and had to wear earplugs. You know, you know, Gooden it was his first losing season. And Howard Johnson, who just came off winning an RBI title, he only had seven home runs and 43 RBI. So there were some parallels to this team. The only thing I'll say is this. The last year, I think the whole fan base, this is the most, you know, most the fan base just almost doesn't care about what's going on. Like it is almost like we're bored of it. And I think it's what happened last year that affected things. Got off to a great start last year. We're up 10 games on June 1st and then the season ended. We're in second place. We're in a wild card series and we lose in three games. So there is a little bit of, well, has the season really started? I mean, you know, we just called up uh, Mark Vientos from the minors Francisco Alvarez was called up a few weeks back. Brett Beatty's called up a few weeks back. Verlander's only made three starts for the team. Scherzer's only made about seven. So there is a little bit of, okay, I'm not 
that worried. I'm going to complain. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be a bet fan, but you're like, okay, things can still turn around, but I will say everyone's very negative. Everyone's turned the corner on everybody that we felt good about last year. We feel the opposite about this year. And that's what makes things a little tough. Well, you know, whether we're talking about the Mets and well, same thing's kind of going down as went last year, right? I mean, it was like, it's just as long as Scherzer and DeGrom are healthy for the postseason. That right. didn't work out. Now it's well, as long as Scherzer and Verlander there. I mean, it's you're you're relying on last year was old an old guy and a guy that can never stay healthy, and now it's two old guys. Right. Yeah, I think that is the lesson I think they have learned from this year is you know, when Steve Cohen bought the team, his whole thing is I want to be like the Dodgers. And the Dodgers at the time when the Guggenheim group brought them, they had a young pitching coming up. Kershaw wasn't that old. They signed Granke, who wasn't that old. Now we don't have, the Mets don't have that much pitching in their farm system coming up. So we're kind of relying on older starters. You know, Kodai Senga is our, essentially our youngest guy, or Tyler McGill is actually, but Kodai Singer is young-ish, and he has been actually carrying the bulk of the staff. The thought I had at the beginning of the year is if Verlander and Scherzer could make 25 starts each, the Mets should be in a good place. There are some positives to take from Verlander. I mean, from Scherzer, his last start was he threw 95, he threw eight pitches 95 miles an hour or higher. In his first six starts combined, he threw three. So Maybe he's finding something, you know, he had a neck spasm, he had a latch strain, he had the sticky stuff. Then he got, you know, another injury. So that's tough. Verlander, I'm actually a little less worried about. He got booed at home. You know, it happens. Um, he is 40. I don't think he's going to pitch to a 175 ERA again, but I think he will be, he will throw more inning. I made a little side bet with some friends who will throw more innings, Verlander DeGrom or Carlos Rodon. And Ooh. And oh. right now, you know, oh. even though Verlander, it's actually getting a lot closer than it should be when DeGrom had a head start, Rodon is oh. a pitcher, and Verlander's only made three starts. So, you know, the checkpoint of the season, I heard you guys just talking about the Padres too just before, you know, the checkpoint of the season I feel like is Memorial Day. That's your first checkpoint. Then if you're pretty much at the same place in the 4th of July, and this is what the season is. Um, and I think last year, we all know the Braves weren't in a good spot on Memorial Day. The Phillies weren't. Um, I don't think the Mariners were either. Cleveland wasn't. So Baltimore wasn't. Um, so you could have these teams that all of a sudden they find out where their team is at. They make some moves. They call up some guys. And it changes things. Michael Harris, who won Rookie of the Year last year, wasn't even up yet for Atlanta. And then ended up winning Rookie of the Year. So there is some positivity, if you could say, for Met fans. But, you know, even last year when we we're off to the best start ever, we still thought the other shoe was going to drop. So Yeah, you know. we talk all the time. We can talk about Philly. We can talk about San Diego. I mean, you're actually giving – you're making A's fans feel a little bit better. Hey, it's not Memorial Day yet. Wait, 4th of July. We got a long way to go. Uh, we, we, we know where we are. We're not kidding. We're, we're, we're not kidding anybody. Um, but throw it on the other side. It's amazing how – Everybody wants to just tear down people, get off to a hot start. I mean, the Rays. I mean, if I'm still, 
I, if I was to buy stock in them, everybody still wants to say, whoa, whoa, slow down, long way to go. So I wouldn't be buying super high. Right. Would you still be buying stock in the Rays? So I was probably one of the people at the network that poo-pooed the Rays very early. You weren't one of those guys. I, Come on. You know, You're too smart for Tigers, that. The Tigers, the Nationals, I think the Royals the were some of the first early teams. So I was like, yeah, I don't know about them. You know, they are a good team. Um, obviously, they have good pitching. They're still going to get Glass now back. McClanahan has pitched well. You know, Taj Bradley has looked good when he's been up. You know, they've had injury issues, obviously, with Jeffrey Springs um, out for the season. Um, but I do th- I do think they're going to end up winning the division um, because they're just better than everyone else in the division. The You know, the Yankees keep saying, well, when we have Severino and Rodon back and yeah. combine with Cortez and Cole, we'll have a rotation. Okay, well, Severino's finally making a start on Sunday, I could guarantee you. He will go on the IL again before the end of the year. And Rodon is probably not going to pitch till after the All-Star break. So, okay, and you're already eight games out. It's tough. The Blue Jays are more talented. The Orioles seem hungrier. Um, Boston can still hit, even though their pitching is, you know, a little tough. So the Rays are probably the most complete team in the division. So I I would buy stock in them. Look, they, they were on an unbelievable place to start the year. Do I think they're the best team in baseball? No. I think Atlanta is the best team in baseball, and I think the Dodgers are, and I still believe in the Astros. Um, but I do like the Rays. They are a very, very good team. That being said, they also just lost 2 or 3 to a Mets team. So, you know, it's like one of those things you worry about their bullpen a little bit. You know, Peter Fairbanks, he just came off the IL. He gave up that home run the other night. Um, so there are some question marks, but, I, yeah, I like Tampa. All right, so every day I tape on my DVR MLB Central. It's way too early for me, but I get up and skim through it. You know, like they did a great thing with Brent Rooker when the uh, A's were back there, so there's always good stuff. Uh, You know every day my guy Mad Dog, who I love, the Radio Hall of Famer. He's meant so much to us in talk radio. My favorite show is MLB Now. You can steal so much stuff. And then (laughs) – what you're doing, MLB tonight, it's like a must just to have on. When the A's game is on, where we're at the ballpark, or I'm going to be at home, it's the home studio, with the games tonight in Houston and then in Seattle, I always have it on. Talk about, let's just give it a plug, what you're going to be doing and why it's a great show. And it's seven days a week. It's every single night, taking you around the league, key moments. It's a highlight show that's live. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really good what we do at MLB tonight. Tonight we'll have uh, Greg Amsinger, Dan Plesak, and Anthony Record. We're going to talk about some of those disappointing teams in, uh, that have gone off to poor starts this year because I believe half of the playoff field from last year are at 500 or under 500 right now at this point. And, you know, we talk, you talked about the Padres, talked about the Mets, talked about the Guardians who play the Mets tonight. Um, you know, the Cardinals, they're 17 and 24. Um, but, you know, on why there is hope for those teams on the way up, um, you know, Greg is passionate about his um, his Cardinals. He Ooh. picked the Rays and Cardinals to be in the World Series Ooh. this year. 
Um, so he and he's bullish with that. He'll probably still say no. The Cardinals will win the division. Now, if you could give him a mu- like in golf, a mulligan on the first tee, would he take that mulligan? No, 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 no. Because he he will firmly believe he'll still be right. And he was like, no, well, you know, they'll trade for Giolito or they'll get this move or they'll call up this guy. And the Cardinals are look. The Cardinals were ten and twenty. were in last place. Horrific start to the year. And now they've gotten a little hot. They've won nine of their last 11. They put up 14 runs against the Dodgers last night with Urias starting for L.A. I I do think there are some things with pedigrees and teams where they just figure it out. And the Cardinals are one of those teams that figure it out. Even the Yankees, you know, talking to Yankee fans here, they're all down on their team. I'm like, you know, the Yankees always figure out a way to make the playoffs. We know that's going to happen, you know. Um, so we'll we'll discuss a lot of those things, and Jose Altuve will also talk about it a little bit tonight. He's coming off the IL, so it is a great show. It's great talent, especially when we mix in you know different people like you know Pedro or Chris Young or a Yonder Alonso and things like that. And it's fun. Our six o'clock version, which is called MLB Tonight First Pitch, is also very interesting with Adnan and Harold. Yeah, because Harold loves doing the breakdowns and he did a great job the other day talking about the peaking thing with Aaron Judge and the third base coach thing with Luis Rojas and all the all the machinations that happened in that Yankee Blue Jays series. So it is it is fantastic to watch. You're right up and down our network. We have a lot of great television. You talked about Brent Brooker. The word here at our at our network on Brent Brooker is like too bad he's a really good baseball player because he should he was could be able to work here tomorrow. <laughs> he, he was he was working the skybox with D Row and knowing when to pause the tape and everything. Yeah. It was impressive. He was really good. Hey, you know how much we love you and we let love the network. Always appreciate you coming on and we'll we'll be checking in throughout the season. All right, we'll be back seeing where your uh your beloved Mets are here in a couple weeks. All right. Love being on. Thank you. All right, buddy. See ya. See ya. Moses Messina from MLB Network. Do you have the man's open? Is he ready to go? Do we have our national baseball calmness? Hit it. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. All right. Most importantly, how have your children been doing? Did we win the championship, playoffs? What happened? We won championship game part one, but uh, it's a double elimination tournament, so they got to beat the same team again on tomorrow. All right. Well, they're late. If you beat them once, you can beat them again. And my younger kid uh, got a, uh, a little league home run. He hit a nice single uh, and then just kept running. Hey, as we say all the time here, put the ball in play, make the defense make make a play, (laughs) make them make a play on you. Just keep running. He turned, he turned third and you can hear me. I got a video of it. He turned third and you can hear me go, Oh no, 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 no. Go back, go back. (laughs) And he, he was too aggressive, but uh, they threw the ball away again. And we see it on a nightly basis. Make the defense have to pick it up. Catch it, throw it, catch it, throw it. That's why at this point in the A season, like if anybody gets thrown out and like someone calls the postgame show, I go, I don't care. Challenge every arm. 
I don't care mm. what the scouting report is. Make every single outfielder, make every single cutoff guy, and make every single guy retrieving the baseball have to make the play. Because a lot of times, they don't. The throw to the cutoff man can be a little off, right? You can one-hop the catcher at home or two-hop it. Make them make a play. I mean, for God's sakes, you're 10 and 35. Be aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get on the third base guy for the third base coach for, th- for sending him. I'd be like this. I'd make me the third base coach. I'm just a windmill the whole time. Let's get her going. Uh, we were just talking to, to Moses from MLB Network and talking about, you know, right now the story isn't such the good teams because we've got a long way to go. The story really is the bad teams, the bad teams who are trying, the bad teams who are spending a ton of money who have these huge financial commitments. And there's that saying, like, you can buy players, but you can't buy culture. So right now where we are, whether you're talking about, we're just talking about the Mets, you talk about the Padres, you talk about the Cardinals, you talk about the Phillies. You know, where are you on some of these teams who have spent a huge amount of money? And you look at the records, you go, eh, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, uh, my instinct, and you know me, I've been on the show a lot, and you know, I talk about player development. So my instinct is often to go like, what's in the coffers? Are do you have good processes down in the minors to produce good players? You know, um, and uh, I would say that uh, the Mets, uh, if I was going to rank the Mets, Phillies, and Cardinals on this, the Cardinals seem really good at turning out hitters. You know, they've got they just keep turning out hitters like position players. They can turn out they can turn out guys, Um, but they're really suffering right now because they can't turn out pitchers. And the Mets are having a similar deal right now. They they keep calling up Brett Beatty. Looks good. He's hitting the ball hard. Looks like a real third baseman. Now they're calling up Mark Vientos. He had like three balls over 110 miles an hour in his first game. And so, like, you're like, oh, those those guys look good. Francisco Alvarez, good hitter. Uh, looks like the Mets can turn out hitters. Well, what they really need right now are pitchers. And, you know, they've got David Peterson and Tyler McGill, and these guys haven't been what they needed. They needed someone to step up. And, like, the, the Astros, when they were really good, they were like, oh, we got this guy, Luis Garcia. We got this guy, Fran Valdez. We got this other guy. You know, it's like, just get yeah. going. Um, and, and so that's what the Mets are lacking. The Phillies... Um, Somewhere in between. They can make some hitters. Uh, they can make some pitchers. They just, um, I think that, you know, on some level, it's their their general manager trades away young guys. You know, that's just what he does. He does that. He's always done it. He's always done it. And so you can't really fault him. But at the same time, what it does happen is you get a top-heavy roster of older guys. And that's true of all three teams, isn't it? Top-heavy roster, older guys, if they're struggling or if they're hurt, what happens then? And that's why I always talk about player development. That's why I always talk about the kids. That's why I always talk about can you produce kids that can come up and play when you're hurt, your older guys are hurt. I I think the Padres are annoying, to be honest with you. And full disclosure, I grew up in San Diego, and I just look at this version of the Padres. I think they're an, I think they're players. I think their culture is super annoying. Um, obviously, you guys know how much we know Bob Melvin real well. I, I, I think on the inside, it's a little more toxic than people think. Uh, I'm worried that, about that. 
I'm worried about what's going on down there. Like that was uh that's sort of what bubbled to the top when me and Ken Rosenthal and Dennis Lynn worked together on a piece. They had the biggest collapse of like all time, you know, that that one year. Uh, I think it was 2021. And um and you know, one of the things that bubbled to the top was it's it's not a good workplace culture, you know, and no. some of it comes some of it comes from the very top. AJ Preller is a, a, a um it's a bucket of crabs kind of leadership. That's what I, that's what one of the words we use where, um, right, you hold just, on. I'm yeah. always interested when you do stuff like this. I'm very interested. A bucket, okay, so of crabs. bucket of crabs. If you put crabs in a bucket, they will climb over each other and like one will get out. You know? Or they try and, and so, pull the one back in. Right. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it, they're, they're really competitive. And so it's, it's, uh, it's this idea of like, if I, if I put my, if I put my leadership into a room and make them duke it out, then the best ideas will come to the top. That's the positive way of looking at it. But what it ends up creating is more of a culture of like less of collaboration and more of competition. And it's a little bit weird to compete with your coworkers. You know what I mean? Like that's, you want to compete with the other teams. You want to feel collaborative in your team. Yeah. You're a team. Yeah, exactly. So you inside a team, you really want to foster a sense of, you know, all the way up and down. You are being listened to. We value your what you're saying and we're putting it in the mix. And yes, best ideas will come to the top. But really, we've listened to you and like we value your what you're saying. And like your your idea may meld with another idea and get up there. But like we're listening to, you You know, that's what you want to feel. And I, I, when, when I talked to a lot of analysts and people who've left the team and people who are still with the team, I didn't get the sense that like they felt listened to unless AJ Preller called them at 3am on their personal phone, in which case it sort of blew up all sort of organizational uh, norms and sort of like, you know, what happens when the GM calls you directly, calls the the scout directly? What happens to the scouting director? What is he? He has to be like, what, what'd you guys talk about? You know? So uh, there's a lot of stuff under the hood there. And then also he has an element of Dombrowski to him, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, I, I I want to, I'm glad you're what you're saying. Cause Obviously, I'm very lucky. I know a lot of different things, and I think people just go, well, it's the crazy A's cast guys, right? But when someone like you goes, exactly. Like, I've been trying to tell people all the time, this is toxic. What is going on? The fact that I I didn't hear other people saying this, but I've been saying this in spring training because I found this out, that Peter Seidler's taking loans out on his personal businesses to back these contracts up. It's got a little Frank McCourt to it, which should scare the hell out of baseball. As you just said, AJ. Isn't Pre- that the family? Who's the family he's related to? Who's the Seidlers? Yeah. Uh, he's not related to them. I'm just, I was just saying it's, it's, but he's related to former Dodger owners. I, Oh, that's right. Is he, um, the not branch. Is he related to Ricky? But no. uh, yeah, something like we'll, we'll figure out, yeah. but it's like, yeah. AJ Preller will call players. AJ mm-hmm. Pl- AJ Preller will undermine everybody in his organization. And so that's why, as much as we love Bowmel, I just wonder if this thing keeps going bad and he'll a- undermine Bowmel. Bowmel just got there. Exactly. And this basically AJ Preller, before Bowmel, now with Bowmel, has never been blamed. He never gets blamed. It's always everybody else's fault, and I'll fix it and change it. And he never. So that's why I'm worried for Bo Mel that I could be waking up one day with a notification because you can't blame all these players you've just spent eight hundred and sixty-three million on. You got to blame yeah, somebody for, for how many managers is AJ Preller fired? 
a lot. Yeah. Right? He's not going to fire himself, and Seidler's not going to fire him. I mean, I just want people to know it's super toxic in San Diego. When they've all been trying to, to, to the, you know, it's like the super dysfunctional family. They all want to go to church and act like everything's great, but you know behind the scenes that it's super dysfunctional. That's what the Padres are. Yeah, and then there's an the element of the the Dave Dombrowski thing to it, where uh, no, there's two players on that team that are uh, that are homegrown. Uh, I believe it's Stephen Wilson and uh, another reliever. I don't. I think that's it, or maybe Ryan Weathers. That's it. And he's like a up and down guy. So he's traded away all of their prospects to create this major league team. And what happens when you do that is you no longer have the prospects. You know, like there's no, there's no like, oh, well, what do, what do the Rays do? I, I, I know that like, I don't want to say the Rays are perfect for, they're definitely not perfect for baseball and they're not, everything they do isn't great. And we know that they, they, they acquire injured arms and they're just cool with just having everybody on the injured list. And, and, but the one thing that they can do is turn to the next guy in the minor leagues and be like, oh, we got another one. You know, <laughs> like, oh, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, we lost we lost Drew Rasmussen for two months. It's okay. We got Taj Bradley. Oh, don't worry. We got the oh, we got another one, you know? And that's what the good teams can do is be like, we got we got someone that can help us while this guy's out. And uh the unfortunately the the Phillies and the it, it, the flip side is you want your team to try to win. You want your team to make the trades and to sign the guys and to try and win. And that is true in Philadelphia, and that is true in San Diego. But there is a fine line because you do want to have something in the coffer because older players get hurt more often and older players regress and older players are post-peak. And you want to be able to be like, we got this hot young guy who's going to come up and just blow the doors off everybody. I have a, re- You know I have a research staff here at A's Cast Live, right? <laughs> Cody? Uh, it's uh, the the Peter Seidler is the grandson of Walter O'Malley, nephew of Peter O'Malley. There you go. The O'Malley's. The yeah. um, speaking of injuries, I, I know you've talked about starting pitchers and guys who are struggling. I, I was going to save this for later, but I'm going to bring it to you now. I was going to save it for a later segment. Um, back in 2021, I had to worry about it. I had to worry about pitchers and injuries and workloads. Why? Because of COVID. 2020. I had to worry about that in 2021. Then we get to 2022. Well, you know, we had the lockout. Now we got to worry about pitchers. People, people definitely got hurt because of the lockout. All right. All right. Well, now it's the pitch timer. <laughs> so three years in a row with all these dudes getting hurt, there's always an excuse. It's COVID. It's lockout. It's pitch timer. Well, okay. The real thing that's happening is the velo is going up in each one of those years. We're pushing guys to the max, and when you run your car to the max, it breaks down. That's what happens. That's that's the real underlying truth, yes. I had hoped that the pitch clock would lead, and it still could, but it will be in years two, three, or four, maybe, if it happens. I would hoped that it would lead to people rejiggering their, the way that they work, you know, the way that they train, and it'd be like, oh, like Max Scherzer said for our piece, you got to run. You know, pitchers used to run. And then we got, we sort of made fun of poles. Was it running poles, right? I hated running poles, but yeah, I ran <laughs> yeah. a ton of them. So, so we make fun of that in modern player development because you say, well, why is a pitcher running around when he nothing he does on the mound looks anything like that? Stamina. Why, what are you doing? Got to have stamina. 
So Max Scherzer said, hey, you got to run again, guys, because the pitch clock is more like running. It's more like long distance running. It's more about, you know, being able to pace yourself and stamina. So what I was hoping was that may and may still happen in year two, three or four that we that we get a little bit of reduction in velo because people are like, man, if I want to throw 90 pitches at this sort of rate, you know, with this sort of intensity and over and over again with no rest in between then I better, uh, you know, train for like keeping my heart rate up that long. And like, you know what I mean? Like being, being more of a, like a, like a marathon runner as opposed to a sprinter. Cause we are, we are all, we're developing sprinters. All They're all sprinters. Even the starters are sprinters. Spencer Strider's out there throwing as hard as he can for five innings. And that's like the modern pitcher. Uh, so I'm hoping that some of that happens second or third level, but right now it's not happening. And so what happens if you take sprinters and you put them in this pitch clock situation? I think it's making it worse, but I think you're also right in to say that this is a long-term thing that's been going on for a long time. And the real underlying cause of all these injuries is the velo. The close, the closer you throw to your maximum velocity, the more stress you put on the elbow. That is a fact. It's a fact. If I get in my car and I, Drive it as fast as I can every single day. We're going to have a problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have a problem. What do you make? I know you've done a piece on, on five struggling starters. Uh, what do you, Guys that have, as we like to say, check the back of the baseball card. Guys who have back of the baseball card struggling, what do you say to that? You know, not all of them are the same. Uh, I, I looked at Alec Manoa, and, um, you know, the the commenters pointed out more than I did, uh, but when they said it, I was like, oh, my God, it's super obvious. Alec Manoa has put on like 25 pounds and uh, and it's like, you know, when you look at the two pictures, you're like, whoa. And so, you know, people are like, well, CC and other guys did it. Hey, hey I'm going to tell you from a professional, from a professional, I've put on 25 pounds before. I didn't get better. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. <laughs> I, found, I, found, <laughs> I found nothing got better in my life. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, in the era of the pitch clock too, you're huffing and puffing, you know, you're trying trying to get all those extra 25 pounds around. So Ah, you're trying uh, to get the jelly off of your fingers and the peanut butter. (laughs) But he, uh, his slider has really lost a lot of sweep and, uh, he's lost velo. And so if you just look under the hood, it's like, I couldn't. I couldn't say that he was gonna. He's gonna get back to where he was. Like maybe in the off season he can train and you know lose that weight and and get back what he lost. But in, in terms of getting that in the in the middle of the season, you know that's why people train so hard in the off season now is because the middle of the season is so hard to do anything. You know, uh, I've talked to players who'd be like, I have to put on like Brandon McCarthy. I think used to say I had to put on like twenty pounds of weight in the off season to lose it because. I would just lose it during the season. You know, you can't you can't do the same kind of weight training in the in the during the season as you can in the off season. You know, just, you, you know what you know what a huge thing is that that hour like the people who are gonna who are watching this now and the people who watch it later with they don't because we live in the Bay Area, right? Uh, it was a little overcast and it was a little and it's, it's getting a little it's warmer. Hot. You go to other places in the country, it's humid. You get out there in those uniforms and you're Sweat. out there for three hours, you're sweating your ass off. You're losing. weight weight it's hard to keep your strength and your yeah. weight yeah and so uh you know i think during season something like that where you've got a body difference and a lot of velo difference and and movement difference i think that's harder uh and one interesting other guy that was on the list joe musgrove was on the list and he he had a little bit of movement change um but then i realized he pitched in mexico city and in fact mexico city 
the altitude is so high. It's another 1,500 feet above uh, Coors. Yeah. The altitude is so high, it changes the movement on pitches, something we've talked about with Coors before. And so I think if you if adjust for that, there's actually been no difference to Joe Musgrove's pitches. There's no difference to his velo. There's no difference to his movement. And he's just the same guy he's ever been. So I'm much more like Joe Musgrove is going to be fine than I am, you know, Alec Manoa is going to be fine. All right, you're the uh, king of the sticky stuff, Domingo Herman. Here's another one. I mean, he just, wasn't that long ago they told him, go wash your hands. Get another glove, go wash your hands. And then here he's out there again, and they're like, they're putting their hands on his, and their hands are sticking to his. I mean, well, what the hell are we going to do? I mean, we can't ask umpires to be like CSI Miami and have CSI kits on these guys. I well, mean, that's, that's what I've been talking about on my podcast. It's something, there's something there. There's something there that's better than what we're doing now. Could they have like a solution that they put on pitchers' hands? Bam! And, and if the solution turns blue, it's a good idea. Like it's they, a good idea. Like or, old Miami, like a, remember a Miami Vice? Remember old a Miami Swab? They stick it in the thing. Yeah, Miami Vice. They'd like do the thing with cocaine, and if they didn't turn blue, it was cocaine. Yeah, remember exactly. That back in the day? Do a little swab out their hand, throw it in the thing, go like this. If it's the wrong color, so that's a one good idea. The problem is that is a test for a certain substance, right? So you could say. Turn blue if it's pine tar or or if it's spider tack or whatever, right? And not if it's rosin, right? So you can develop that fairly. I bet you they could develop a test like that. However, what happens if you tell pitchers, here are a list of substances you can't do? Yeah. <laughs> they find oh. a substance that's not on the list, <laughs> yeah. right? They're like, well, well, I can boil down Coca-Cola. Yeah, You're not yeah. tested for Coca-Cola. Just ask the World Doping Agency. They'll tell you exactly. all about, yeah. well, you can't take all this. And all of a sudden, they're, where did this come oh, there, from? There, there, yeah, here's the new stuff. Who's so you create a new arms race who's of Pete, like. Who's Peter Conte? And who, what, what is Balco? How did this yeah. all start? Yeah. So you'd create a whole thing where like every week, baseball, I have to be like, okay, we put Coca-Cola on the ban list. Yeah. <laughs> Sparkling water. Can't use that I, anymore. Can you guys stop using sugar? Okay, sugar's on the ban list. <laughs> so, like, uh, uh, so I don't know. I, I think that's a, that's a problem. But there are tests for level of adhesion. And so you just have to, you would have to define some level of adhesion. You say, this is what too sticky is. And then you'd uh, basically go out there with some sort of, like, you'd stick something to their hands and then... You know, there would be some sort of stickiness test. There are these things out in the world. And now, whether or not they adapt that well to baseball, that's the question. But if I was running baseball, I'd be looking at that. There are adhesive adhesion tests. I'd, I'd have two or three guys go out there and find all those adhesion tests and see if you can do any of those in, in one minute. Like, can you do any of those tests in one minute on the mound? Well, you know, get, well I, I've no, you know, I've noticed a lot this season – and I don't know why. Maybe it's always happened, but I've noticed a lot. Like, they're checking relievers when they come into the game. They're not yeah. waiting for you throw whatever it is. You throw to a couple of batters or whatever. So that's part. So I. They're varying it is before, that, after, you know, yeah, what innings. You see them like. And, and you know, when you see this because of the Coliseum, because our bullpens are on the field. So you see a guy walk off, and all of a sudden, umpires meeting him halfway and already checking him right out of the gate. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so they're trying to like make it like that, but that still at the end, it's a subjective test where a human being is touching another human being's hand and going, "Hmm, is that too sticky? Is that just sticky? Is that no sticky?" Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's still so subjective that 
I, I don't like it. Subjective is we used to have selective, right? Selective punishment with sticky stuff was was um, who was the guy? Uh, the, the, it was a Yankee too that had the uh, pine tar on his neck. Pineda, Michael Pineda. Pineda, and it was just so obvious that you had to do something about it. But then there's also been other times. There was other times. Brendan Donnelly had uh, had something that he was scuffing the ball with, and uh, he got called out on it because he was. Uh, a scab he had actually crossed he was a he was a, a replacement player and Ooh. and someone did not like him because of that and they they got their manager to go check him so you know the like in the past it was selective we've gone from selective to subjective i would and you know what I'm not i would sure say that's way better I was huh? I was eating a lollipop and it dropped and I picked it up and now my hands are sticky and now I'm kicked out of the game just, and that's why they're lollipop. all saying oh it's just rosin and that, they're saying well even if it was rosin it's too much or whatever it's like okay well maybe the maybe the pictures are lying maybe it's more than rosin you know we don't know but if it is then it's just it's awful well I think we can sum it up in just one thing it's all just a bucket of crabs. <laughs> It's a bucket of crap. Just trying to get our attention, trying to crawl out the top. I, it's one of the best sayings. I, I, can I steal that? Yeah. You know what? I'll say I got it from you. I'll give you credit. Bucket of <laughs> It's just a bucket. Of, it's a bucket of crap. And you know how many times you could just say that and people would be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and they'll have no <laughs> idea what the hell you're talking about. Even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think our for, when's our next A's meeting? We have, like, these big meetings. They'll go, uh, Chris, do you have anything to add? It's just a bucket of crabs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds pretty old timey, doesn't it? Right, like, and you're gonna be like, yeah, yeah, I think he's right. I, it is a bucket of crabs. <laughs> <laughs> Play the man as outro, would you? The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight tap room locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Go get that championship tomorrow. All right, go all house. All right, thanks, guys. Good luck, buddy. Eno Saris, our baseball, national baseball columnist from The Athletic. Uh, we got, Who's next? We got Blummer coming up? Yeah, Blummer, yes. What are we calling him? Uh, Blummer Domus. Blummer Domus. Blummer Domus. He saw into the future, and he was right. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. We have a new feature that we're going to be busting out today with our next guest. 
because, I mean, we've talked all about his greatness as a Cal Bear. We've talked about him as a World Series hero and a great broadcaster. We didn't realize that he could see into the future. Blummer, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Tony? Well, we're about to. Do you have it ready there, uh, Cody? Uh, we, we have a new name for you, Blummer Domus. Did you know like that? It. Did you know we had that name for you? No, I did not. Uh, you know, I get lucky every now and then. And, uh, you know, it's good to have a nickname that's not something uh, derogatory. Well, let, let, let's play it. This was you before the season started looking into the future. I, I mean, maybe for the first month, month and a half, two months, maybe you can argue that a little bit because, you know, you're going to have – I know you're kind of hitting at the Altuve situation with the WBC, breaking the thumb, having surgery, you know, coming back and re rehabilitating that and getting that swing back is going to be a little bit longer than maybe we, we expect. Uh, Michael Brantley was scheduled to be ready opening day but had some issues off the field that he had to take care of, so it kind of pushed his start back a little bit. Jordan Alvarez just started his. Hitting. can he be ready on opening day and then you've got lance mccullers jr is when's he going to be able to come back so yeah if you're going to look at this and, and maybe say there's an opportunity to kind of take advantage of the astros i wouldn't say knock them off that al west throne but i would say if there's an opportunity to take advantage of the astros early on this you know april may might be those months where you can if you can jump out to a little bit of an early lead and uh try and take advantage of them not being at full strength because they are going to open the season with some key pieces on the shelf and what happens no one took real advantage of it the Astros have won four in a row and they're right back in the mix so you called it you better get on them early and no one really did and because they didn't the Astros are right back in this thing it's kind of wild to think about, too. And I was always under the assumption that the Seattle Mariners were going to be better than they were. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Texas Rangers kind of surprised me a little bit with their pitching. I know that De DeGrom is hurt, but you're, you're seeing Evaldi pitch extremely well. John Gray out there, and their offense is ridiculous. I mean, the numbers that uh, Texas is putting up are pretty insane to watch from a distance. So I don't know what they were going to look like in person, but, you know, it only a two-game lead. That I don't. I just don't think that's enough for to to get the Astros off you, and be able to fight them off throughout the course of the season. But I, I to be brutally honest, I'm a little disappointed what Seattle had because Seattle was the team that I thought was going to be able to pitch well enough and have their offense going to put up some runs to go out there and win ball games and maybe be leading the West right now. But now, as we have it, you know, the Astros find a way to win ball games, and here they are, two games back. All right, he's back, Jose Altuve. How fired up is everybody there in Houston? We're all fired up. I mean, it's a it's a Friday night. It's a Kyle Tucker bobblehead giveaway. It's, you know, fireworks. Uh, the team is on a roll, and then you add on that extra layer of Jose Altuve. I would imagine that uh, if you're here pregame, you're going to hear a good cheer when they announce the lineups. And then when he gets that first at bat, uh, he may be down 0-1 because he's tipping his cap to everybody as he makes it back <laughs> on the ballpark. But uh, just a quick thing about Jose Altuve. One of the best stories I heard about him was from Joe Espada. Joe said that they were in spring training. Jose Altuve takes off to go play in the WBC, breaks the thumb. The, just his gear bag comes back, and it's sitting in the locker as guys start to filter into the clubhouse. And he said that instantly – there was just this funk that kind of spread throughout the clubhouse because the person wasn't in there. Jose Altuve brings a lot to the table on the field, but he's he's just a jovial, happy, 
you know, go lucky type guy. And I think having just that energy is going to be one of those things that they're, they're going to really uh, enjoy having back. It is so true because I'll never forget one of the, one of the years, the visiting clubhouse at the Coliseum, you come out and you walk down the same stairs as everybody else does, the fans, the workers, us media. And there was one time where Altuve walks out and he and I walked down the stairs together. Couldn't have been a nicer guy, right? I mean, I, I mean, I'm taller than he is, for God's sakes. But, but you, yeah, I, I could dunk on him. But you could post him up, yeah. But you know, you're just like he—he he, he is just—he's like a—he's—he's he's like a bottle of energy. And there's something about a player like that. And you throw in that he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. There, there's some when a guy brings that kind of energy, and he's a great player. Wow. It is wow, and it's a lot of fun because, you know, as much as he goes out there and gets his numbers, like you said, you know, he's close to 2,000 uh, 2, base hits. He should get that here in the next, you know, what, should, depending on how he goes, he could get it in the next month. But he's he's achieving levels offensively both during the regular season and postseason that are putting him into that status you're talking about. Yet when you watch him in the dugout, in the clubhouse, I mean, he's jumping around, he's talking to guys. There's not, there's nobody on this team that he avoids. He'll talk to anybody anytime. And if something good happens, he's on the top step. He'll be the first one to high five you. So, you know, he, he has that enthusiasm about it that he really wants everybody else to succeed along with him. All right. We're beyond that. It's early kind of deal. Uh, Jose Abreu, no home runs. How worried are you guys? I. Uh, well, we're a little worried because, you know, behind the scenes, there's a little bit of a running bet on which Jose A is going to get that home run first. And it might be Jose Altuve instead of Jose Abreu that gets that first home run because, uh, you know, it, whether it's mechanical, whether it's mental, there's just something going on with Jose Abreu that's not allowing him to turn on the baseball and try and yank it into the Crawford boxes here at Minute Maid Park. So, I'm not, you know, I have my opinions just from watching the swing, you know, a couple of mechanical things that are in there, but then I watch him take a couple of fastballs down the middle, chase the slider off the plate. So that gives you the idea. It's maybe a little bit mental. So he's got some stuff going on and uh, you always wonder, is he healthy? Is he fighting against something? Is he protecting something? But the lack of, the lack of power. Yes. It's, it's gotten to the point where I think here in Houston, it's a little concerning. Yes. All right. In your career, if you had something that was wrong, Maybe a little physical, maybe a little mechanical. Obviously, it's tough to fix because you play every single night. What is the key to whatever that, whatever is ailing you, fixing it during a season? Well, the hardest part is probably trusting it because, you know, once you make an adjustment on, on your one part of, swing, of the swing, you get 99 other problems that go with it. So it's trying to simplify the, the mechanics that you're working with and I think nowadays with the technology, you're able to side by side, you're able to overlap swings. So I know that I probably like to, I'd like to take video of what I was doing well. And I would sit there and watch the video. I'd try and see it. And hopefully my eyes would tell my body how it feels. Then I would get in the cage, figure out what doesn't feel right and try and get in that same position that I was at when I was going well and try and replicate that. And maybe that would start to unlock some things. But you know, there, there's, you know, this day and age, I didn't work with the, the analytics that they have. So sometimes it can be paralysis by analysis, or it could be you just run into a string of pitchers that you're facing that are extremely good and you're hitting the ball hard and you're running into bad luck. But 
you've got to show a lot of trust in your ability to go out there because you do have to make adjustments. If you sit there and just say, my swing's going to work no matter what, I think that's when you start to find yourself in some of these funks like you're seeing Jose Abreu win. You know, there's that statement of there's there's your feels and there's the reels. There's things that you're feeling <laughs> and there's things that really are going on. But if you're going good, it doesn't matter, right? But if you're not going good and it feels good, but it's not going good, so the feeling and what it looks like are two different things, man, that's when you're like, where do I go? What do I do? Yeah, you, you are you are virtually inside my head when I'm on the golf course right there. Feels versus reels. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm like, dude, that swing felt great. Why am I in the trees? <laughs> yeah, when you square it up and it's hooking, you're like, what? I, I squared it up. Like I hit that right off the club face. The little door, my club face is completely shut, but hey. <laughs> but hitter, hit, hitters and pitchers go through that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would. I can only imagine. I mean, and you see it with guys who, uh, you know, some of those high command guys that want to stay on the edges. They, you know, they develop that one release point where the pitch is coming out nicely and it's hitting the spot that they want. And I mean, it's almost even worse for some of those pitchers because you're off just a tick, maybe a, you know, a couple of centimeters, and all of a sudden that ball's reacting in a way that you really don't want it to. And you got to get back there. You got to start to get that. You know, turn the you know, adjust the reels to the feels and get the get back on the feel of the baseball. It's not easy, man. This game is hard. You know, I think about the adjustments, and it's one thing that the Astros have always been good at. I mean, you can go down the line, Garcia with Tommy John, McCullers with the elbow, Urquidy with the shoulder, Brantley's still out, Abreu's not hitting home. I mean, it's like no matter what you throw at the Astros, they always kind of, ah, we'll figure it out and keep winning. Why do you think that happens? Why does why is this organization able to do that? I, I, I truly believe that it's because they've developed an idea of winning, and I think they've developed an idea of of not doing it just on sheer luck or doing it on sheer uh, you know ability. I think it's it's a mentality for these guys. We all obviously know that they've got a chip on their shoulder for for reasons of 2017 or whenever you know was going on. So I think that they have this little. You know, this idea that they have a little extra bigger chip or an extra chip on their shoulder that they want to go out there and prove everybody wrong. But I also think it's a clubhouse that has this idea of we need to go out there and win. If it's not going to be Alex Bregman one night or if it's not going to be Jose Abreu, it's going to be a Jordan Alvarez and it's going to be set up by a Mauricio Dubon. So I think these guys understand that if I'm not performing up to what I want to do or how I'm able to help this team, there's going to be somebody else that can pick me up. And if I'm not doing it offensively, I'm sure as hell going to go out there and try and take away some base hits. So I think they do a good job of, you know, compartmentalizing, okay, my swing isn't where I want it to be, but you know what I can do? I can go out there and play, a, you know, a hell of a defense and pick my pitcher up. Somebody else will pick me up on that end. And when my, and when Jordan's not going well, maybe I'll be the guy that steps up that day. So they really do a good job of doing this as a team. And they've really developed a culture here that says, you know what, we've all got the same, same uh, name on our front of our Jersey. We might as well all go out there and fight together, and that's exactly what they do. They have no no other idea on their mind other than winning. I know you got to go do TV, so let's end on this one. Uh, obviously, the, yep. the Chicago White Sox means so much to you and your heart and baseball, and what that city uh, has meant throughout your career to you. They were, you know, you you look at just the past couple of years' expectations of what they were supposed to be, bad once again. Just. How, how do you view the situation going on on the south side once again? 
You know what? I, gosh, I really thought Pedro Garfola was going to be able to turn that thing around. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think there, you know, there's a little bit of an identity crisis for their hitters. I'm not sure. You know, they've got good, talented guys, but they just don't. Are they a team that controls the zone? Are they a team that goes out and smashes home runs? Are they a team that's going to work on base and get those big hits in uh, RBI situations? And then their pitching side, you know, I don't know. That place is in some serious turmoil. I'm not sure how to turn it around because, like you said, you just said, when you look at these guys on paper for the last three years, yes. how are they not winning the American League Central? I, they, on paper, they look better than the uh, Guardians. They look better than the Twins. Uh, they've got depth. I think, you know, hopefully when they get Crochet and uh, Hendricks back in the bullpen, they can protect those guys. But it's crazy to look up and see a Lance Lynn with a five or six ERA. Dylan Cease is getting batted around. What, you know, why is that? And how do you correct that culture? And uh, as much as you can't, you can't put analytics to culture, but there's something in that clubhouse that is just not functioning right. I, I can't put my finger on it, but it's amazing to watch them not play to the level that they look like they should be. Well, the great thing is this is the first game between the A's and the Astros, so that means we're going to play a lot more later in the season. We're going to bring back Blummer Domus later in the year, and we're going to take a look into the future for Cal football this year in the Pac-12 oh. Conference. That's what I'm talking about. That that that's going to be crazy. It's not. It probably won't be as positive as most people want me to be. I don't know. Blummer Domus, we'll just have to wait and see. You were you were yep. de- you were dead right on. You better get the Astros early because if you don't, they'll be back. You were dead right. It, it's, I'm just glad that I've been in this game long enough to get something right. Well, you are the best, my friend. You know how much you mean to this program. We always appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Be well. Yeah, trust me, the feeling's mutual. I love coming on with you guys, telling you you're the best, and I appreciate the opportunity. Go Bears, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care, buddy. The great Jeff Blum, Cal Bear, playing the World Series, the College World Series with the Cal Bears. World Series hero. He's got a statue. Uh, what statue do you have? Uh, I don't, but I'm on the wall at my college. Oh, you got a wall. Oh, you're like, well, you're, you're like a giant, forever giant. Yeah, I'm a, you're on the wall. I'm a distinguished graduate of my. We gotta go now, defunct university. When do we play the Giants at what? What's the stadium called now? That'd be Oracle Park. You sure? No, I'm sure. All right, it's not. Uh, it's not SBC Global anymore. Pac Bell. <laughs> AT and T. Uh, let me see when we play the Giants. We gotta go. Since I make fun of that wall all the time, we gotta go take pictures with it. Yeah, I would say we, have to, we should do a segment. And I want to take a picture next to the most ridiculous guy honored on that wall. We should do a segment from there on video and just yes. play it back. Yes. Uh, we I stand next to Marvin Bernard on the wall of fame. Is it called the wall of fame? Or what uh, it called? Yeah, Giants wall. Where? Forever. Forever giant. It's not until it looks like July. For some reason, the calendar on ESPN doesn't bring up the full schedule. Oh, Jesus. Are you seriously? You're on an A's show and you can't bring up the A's? Sorry, I don't have it memorized. I'm not. Sean McVay. Well, maybe if you worked every day, you'd know. You didn't take all these weekends uh, off. July 25th, Tuesday and Wednesday, July 25th and 26th. All right. July 25th is a 645 start. Oh, yeah. We're we're going to get on a boat, and we're going to sail across. No, we won't. Um, we will go out and do a segment from this. What? Where is it? McCovey Cove? I, I have no idea. I planned on I planned on only going to Oracle Park once this year, and that's when the Pirates were in town, and that's what. You know, but now it looks like twice. 
I can't even remember the last time I've been there. Probably when we went in 2019 when we did a show from there. Was 2019, last uh-huh. time I've been there. It's probably because I mean, we didn't go during COVID, and we didn't go. One, we, we didn't go in 21 because there was still COVID, and we couldn't. We didn't go last year. We chose. We we made an executive decision not to go. <laughs> we boycotted. <laughs> We're boycotting them for their fighting us about our ballpark at our terminal. Well, We're boycotting. They made some news today. They called up uh, their their number one pick from the 2020 draft, Patrick Bailey, because Joey Bart's not hurt. Joey Bart's hurt? Groin strain. So, Patrick Bailey, the catcher out of uh, NC State. How's Schmitty doing? Uh, he's actually he's playing pretty well. You know who calls him Schmitty? Um, no. Will Clark. Oh. The Thrill. I'm sure a lot of I'm sure a lot of Giants, as you call them, honks do call them Oh, Schmitty. giant honks. They're everywhere. Uh, by the way, and so Will Clark has joined um, – What's his name? Eric neck? Burns. Eric Burns, our buddy Eric Burns' network. No filter network. I mean, come on. Getting Will Clark stories is great. Uh, yes. Uh, by the way, Casey Schmidt hitting 417 and 36 at bats. Will Clark. Will Clark. So those guys who played in that era, that could. there was a great question that was thrown out there that I, I saw. Is when you were a kid, who were your favorite first baseman? And that tells you your age. Who were the prominent maybe maybe you don't even have to say who your favorite was because everybody's a homer. Who were the prominent first basemen when you were a kid growing up? And that will tell you your age. Because first basemen tend to be guys, well, at least in, in yesteryear, stayed around for a long time. Stayed at the same position for a long time. And we started going through it. And I thought it was a fascinating question. Because you're like, huh. When I was a kid, and you think, okay, first baseman. Like, for you, Mark McGuire, as an Oakland athletic, as a kid, would have been one of the prominent first basemen for you. Yeah, and then, obviously, with the Cardinals, because that's got a little older. When I hit, like, 10, he was a Cardinal. That was a home run race, 98. You were 10 during that time? That, sorry, I was 9. I turned 10 after the home run race ended. I went to the Hall of Fame wow. that same year, I'm too. I'm that much older than you? Not that much older. I'm going to be 35 this year. I was well into my career during the home run chase. <laughs> uh, this, full disclaimer, I wasn't married for the first time yet then. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah, McGuire, McGuire was He like, said it, not me. I had nothing to do with it's that. It's okay. I can make he jokes He did a dig on himself. My wife's in Cancun. She's not listening. Uh, she could be down the street and she wouldn't be listening. That's also very true. Um, she's an Angels fan. The – for me, growing up in Pittsburgh, the first baseman only stunk. It was Kevin Young and then it was Craig Wilson. So, of course, I watched a lot but of see, NL- me, as a really, really, really young kid, the Pirate first baseman was the first baseman. Because when I was a little kid, the big team was the, remember fans, and everybody listening today wasn't even alive when the A's won World Series 72, 73, 74. So don't even tell me about that. Uh, it's Willie Stargell and the We Are Family Pirates. Willie Stargell, he was towards the end of his career, which means, you know, he wasn't, wasting away like Miguel Cabrera. He was still Willie Stargell playing in the World Series in 1979. So, like, the first big first baseman I remember as a kid was Willie Stargell. I'm curious how old was old man. How old was Pops? Look, Mr. Rogers. All right, you ready? I'm going to say Willie Stargell in the World Series in 1979 was 39 years old. Oh, wow, that's a great guess. It was 39 years old. Nah! Born in 1940. One for me. Uh, at age forty, he um, he only hit thirty two home runs and drove in eighty two. Can I get a guy that hits thirty two home runs and drives in eighty two? Who's not? I mean, he was thirty nine years old and did what? 
39 years old, played 126 games, hit 32 homers, drove in 82, and hit 281. And had a 904 OPS. That's pretty good. Pops from uh, Alameda, right? At 39 right? years old. He has some relation to, uh, yeah, he went to high school in Alameda. 39 years old. Why can't we have that? When was uh, the last time we had that? What, a first baseman did that? Matt Olson? He hit bombs, but he didn't hit he didn't hit that kind of average. Uh McGuire? Giambi. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, Giambi. I was thinking I was gonna say I almost said Brandon Moss. Now if you say Giambi's that first baseman and I played against Giambi, I'm gonna be pissed. Giambi, you're not that young. You're not that young. But I was well, he's a, he, So we start going through like mine. And it's funny. Mine are I have the list. Yeah, mine are the the I mean so from Stargell, because when I first start really remembering sports, uh, is seventy nine. Seventy nine is like the the year that I first. So like the Raiders were my first Super Bowl party in eighty. Uh, Raiders, Eagles. So it's like Pete Rose, Rod Carew, Steve Garvey. Right? It's these guys. Then here comes Don Mattingly. Right. Uh, what, Cecil Cooper was a brewer. He was always in the All-Star game. Who am I missing? Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez was a Cardinal before he was a Met. Jack Clark. The Ripper. People forget about the Ripper. Jack the Ripper was a pretty, was, it was pretty, hit a lot of bombs back in the day. But Pete Rose, see, I, Pete Rose was not Big Red. Pete Pete Rose was off the Big Red machine by the time I, I mean, Pete Rose was a Philly. Winning the World Series in 1980. Yeah. Pete Rose to me was always – I never saw Pete Rose play out. Pete Rose was always the first – Bob Boone's dropping the ball at the dugout, and there's Pete Rose getting it. I mean, that's a famous highlight from 1980. I mean, that Pete Rose to me was a first baseman. I mean, some of the ones for me – we mentioned McGuire already. Uh, Giambi. This is before Giambi's a left – this is after he was a left fielder and third baseman. Uh, the big cat, Andres Galarraga. He was never a – he was big, but he's never a big first baseman. Uh, Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey was a big deal. Jeff Bagwell. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Another Jeff Bagwell. Hall of Famer, yeah. Carlos Delgado was pretty good. Yeah, he was a really good player. Todd Helton. Yep. And Richie Sexton. No. And then Albert Pujols, obviously. Who? I'm not going to say Sean Casey the mayor. You mean the guy they were sending the juice balls to so he could? Wow. Just allegedly. I mean, we. Allegedly special balls were being sent to St. Louis at the end of that run. I'm just that's what that's what's been thrown out into the universe, and your generation loves to say, "I saw it on Twitter." It's true. Uh, by the way, I looked up 2003 All Star Game. Albert Pujols was a starter in left field. No, <laughs> he was not voted in as the left. Field. He may have got put there, but he was not voted in as he was on the ballot as an outfielder. Pretty sure in that game, Todd Helton started at first base. That's fine, but you you you. you he was not voted in as an outfielder. It's funny, by the way, um, you know, mentioned Brandon uh, Brandon Donnelly. He was the winner in that All-Star game. Um, yeah, left field, the great Albert Pujols hitting third. No, 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 no. He got put there. He was voted. I, I don't know. I don't know. How, put, bring up the voting of what year was this, the old three All-Star game? Yeah, 2003. MLB. You're going to tell me Albert Pujols was an outfielder, voted in as an outfielder. I could be stand. I could stand correct. It is a bucket of crabs. That we all know. Um, I wonder if they have. I don't think we can bring that up from those years. The ago. fan vote. What's the fan vote? 
How does it feel to lead the field? Uh-oh. Oh, there's an ad. Uh, I don't know how to find that on Baseball Reference. Never had to look that up. Oh. You just got called. I'm just reading. I'm just, just reading what the what it says. No, you, they're telling you where he played. How many games did he play in 03? You can see that. How many games did he play in left field? Let's find out. I know he played. He played some third base too. He's, he's a Ted. They care, always compared him to Ted Williams. He's the Ted Williams now, left field. Let's see. Ooh, wait a minute. Was McGuire was McGuire still there? No, McGuire's gone. We're talking about 03. What year was McGuire's last year? It was right around that time. Um, yeah, I think he was gone though. Uh, hold on, let me let me get to pull host. Get to his great defensive career. Uh, in 2003, Pulhos played. Uh, played 113 games in left field, so he might have been voted in as a left fielder. How many did he play at first? In 03, 62. So who was the Cardinals first? Was was it McGuire? Oh, you just shot me down. So I mean, I c- couldn't. Was it really? Oh boy, no, I mean, nope, it was not McGuire. It looks like, unless that was wrong. The answer was the great 35-year-old Tino Martinez was the third base. Tino base. the Bambino? <laughs> he was the first baseman that I year. I do not remember him as a Cardinal. Hit 273, hit 15 home runs. I mean, I mean, look at this lineup. I mean, Edgar Renteria hit 13 home runs and drove at 100. Then it was Scott Rowland, Hall of Famer, 28-104. Pulhos, 43-124. Jim Mavitt, J.D. Drew. Oh, J.D. Drew. Oh, yeah, Edmonds hit 39 home runs that year. It's like a Cardinals team. They only won like how many games? They won like eighty four. I mean, I sorry, eighty five. I can I make one statement? Uh, I, I I drug test that whole team. By the way, do you, do you see how much you forget about the steroid era? Uh, All of a sudden, you look at Baseball Reference. Oh, look what he did. Uh huh. Yeah, because yeah. Jim Edmonds was really a thirty nine home run guy. Actually, was that Edmonds' best year power? I know he had some years where he had some power, but I don't. Know that yeah, was. everybody had power. You, you, you don't remember that era? What do you mean? Edgar Winter, had drove 100 and only hit 13. I mean, you don't remember everybody had power? Oh, whoa. He, I mean, Edmonds at 25, hit 33 and drove 107 as a California angel. Yeah, 25. How old was he in 03? Uh, he was 33. Uh-huh. Oh, wait. Whoa, next year hit 42 and drove oh, 111. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And Mark McGuire hit, se- se- hit what, 70? McGuire hit 70 in 1998. Yeah, uh, yeah he hit 70. Hey, Barry um, Bonds never hit over never hit over fifty. And then he miraculously did it in yeah, 2001. Yeah, you're right. You're, yeah, yeah, you're right. He was he never tested positive. You're like some of the bad callers on KBR. He never tested positive. McGuire's last year was 2001 at age 37. He hit a whopping 187, but he still hit two, 29 home runs in 97 games. All right. Well, when do we got Katze? Four. We got plenty of time. Okay. I want to get in because I I talked about this briefly with Eno. And I found this on talking about fantasy. So usually the fantasy stuff really doesn't bring you nuggets to use for the show. But it was fantasy talking about pitchers on the shelf. Twelve of the top 50 starting pitchers on draft day are currently on injured wrist, on injured list. Three of them. Robbie Ray, Jeffrey Springs, and Luis Garcia are out due to Tommy John. And you just start thinking about it. The amount of guys that are hurt. And that's when it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We've been using all these excuses of why guys are hurt. 
Here, you ready? 2021, the prevailing opinion centered around the increased workloads from a COVID-19 shortened 2020 season. Remember how we had to buy into that one? Yeah. Oh, you know, these guys only played 60 games. They're off their workload. It's now 2021. You know, I mean, when you could have said, you know what? These guys got more time to heal their bodies. They actually got more time to heal their body. Think about this, how how ridiculous. Right now, we push guys back. Why do we push guys back? Give them more time to heal, rest. Okay, so we're constantly talking about how these guys need rest. Here, they have the ultimate time to rest. If you're somebody that's been throwing way too much since high school and college and minor leagues, well, God knows they don't barely even throw in the minor leagues now. So, But the narrative that these guys have been thrown so much in their life that they need to rest. Well, that was COVID. You've got, if you had anything ailing you as a professional athlete, you had the ability, yes, guys still had the ability in the states that they lived in. Yeah, it wasn't happening here, but in the states they live in, like Florida and Arizona and Texas and Nevada, you still could get treatment. You still could get worked on. Think about the amount of time if you'd felt like, you know, I've had the shoulder, my, my, I've, I've had something. You had ample time. You had from the last pitch of that season, unless you played in the postseason, was that we, that was like an October 2nd or 3rd end date. So you basically had from the beginning, you had October, November, December, January, uh, February, March, April, May, June. We didn't start till July, right? Correct, July. End of July. Folks, almost 10 months pitchers had to heal, to rest, to strengthen themselves. Then you had a quick 60-game schedule. Then you had a whole another offseason to heal. And now we had people in baseball talking about, well, they didn't get their workloads. They're not, they're not built up. Whoa, 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 whoa. You want to talk about our sport talking, talking out both sides of their mouth? It's unbelievable. You had all this time to get healthy and fix whatever's been ailing you as a pitcher. And to strengthen everything. Your lower body, your core, your shoulders, your forearms. You can't technically straighten. You know, it's it, it's a ligament. You you know, I mean, there's not much you can do. Your UCL. But what you can do is strengthen your forearm, strengthen your shoulder, your tricep, your bicep. You can strengthen. You, you, there's things that you can do. You had all this time in the world. And coming out of being able to be as strong as you ever could be, they talked about he didn't get his workload. We're worried about pitchers because they didn't get their workload from last year. But then when they're in the process of their workload, we constantly talk about what? Pitching them less. Yes. So our game is talked out of their mouth. So 2021, a bunch of guys are getting hurt. They didn't get their workload the year before because of COVID. Next year, well, we have the lockout. We had the lockout. The lockout was what? How long? We missed two weeks. Uh, we missed two weeks of baseball because of the lockout. Yeah, and they couldn't be playing, no communication, all that stuff. Oh, uh, they couldn't talk. They were all out throwing. According to according to everybody we talked to, they were all throwing their bullpens. They were all getting their work in. That's why I, I made that we made that friendly wager about how many guys would. Uh, I said oh. no guy would go over two hundred innings. Debbie Downer here said no one would even throw. Oh, there could be. Not to jump ahead, there could be a correlation to that and why Sandy Alcantara is not good this year. No, you're a joke. <laughs> uh, but there you go. 
we had a lockout. That's why guys are getting hurt. So 2021 was workload and COVID. 2022 was lockout. Guess what this year is? Pitch timer. Pitch timer. Now they're getting hurt because of pitch timer. So we've had three years, tons of injuries, but we've had three different excuses. Wouldn't you think there should be one excuse? There should be one thing? Shouldn't these brilliant... Now, we're not hearing any of this from medical professionals. We're not hearing that, even though David Forrest is a doctor. I was going to say, we do have a doctor on staff yes. uh, in the front office. I mean, if you got to meet a doctor, call Dr. David Forrest. Call Dr. Forrest. That's not... We're, we're, we're going to run with that for a while. Yes. Uh, doctor? Is there a doctor? We need to get some drops about doctor. We should just have that... I should just have that clip ready on top of his. He gets on base. He gets on base. <laughs> but, yeah, we've had three years of an extreme amount of injuries, and we've blamed it on three different things. But we never blame it on the one thing that is happening. Yeah. We're pushing the human body to limits it's never been before. The velocity. And everybody is pitching like a closer. Everybody's coming in. Starters are pitching like closers. I'm giving you my very best from the moment I get out there. I'm giving you all I got. I'm giving you my best breaking balls. I'm giving you my best fastball. It is I'm I'm giving you everything I have for four, five, maybe six innings, and that's it. And guys' arms can't take it. The human body can't take going full bore every single time. And what they don't tell you is a lot of these guys are going pretty full bore in their bullpens too. So you're pushing the human body. So I'm not buying it's COVID. I'm not buying lockout, and I'm not buying pitch time. Not buying it. Well, we saw we saw or we talked about it a little bit. I think it was last week where the amount the velocity in the game has tripled since 2019. Like the amount of guys that throw over 100 miles an hour. How's that possible? It's unbelievable what's going on. And now that's all. It's all it is anymore. When especially you come around, the draft's going to be in like two months. And what's everyone be looking for? Who throws 100 miles an hour? And the the radar gun. You mean not who gets outs? No, they don't care. Not about who outs. can go deep in games. It's about who throws 100. Not who can pitch. Not who has. Who not who has you know one thing that you talk about multiple pitches that they can throw for strikes and for strikeouts, and that yeah. doesn't matter anymore. No, it's all about who throws hard and who has a good fastball, and who can throw the who can throw the sweeper or the slider, and that's even worse for you with the with the, way, the way you're torquing your arm like that. Um, I talked to my friend who's a doctor about this. I will not say what team he works for, but on a part he's a doctor. He helps out, and we were talking about this like. He's like the he was telling me about the velocity, but I said, dude, like, look at how many guys are getting hurt from throwing so many sliders and breaking balls. More that the more breaking pitches are being thrown than ever before. And we're seeing how many more injuries. We're seeing so many more injuries every year too. All right, coming up next. What if I told you? It's thirty for thirty. Six hundred and one saves. Six hundred and one saves. I didn't realize it was that much. 601 saves. Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Star, two-time Rolaids Relief Pitcher of the Year. What if the A's were potentially bringing up their version of Trevor Hoffman? Coming up next, we will talk about that. And also, some reports are out about the, the, the new rules and how they're affecting the game. I think people are going to like to hear this. I think it's a positive. We'll have that for you next right here on A's Cast Live. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. We got A's Astros coming up. Brandon Belak versus Brandon Belak, who's been filling in. He's making his third start for Luis Garcia, who Tommy John, he gone. God, these guys are dropping like flies. We're not even in June. Has anybody kept track of the amount of Tommy John surgeries in a year? Um, ooh, I, don't I don't know, know why you would. That's probably an odd. Is that an odd request by me? No. So, like. We know three already, for sure. If you say, okay, big league level, minor league level, you have to be someone who's being paid by a major league baseball team, by a by one of the 30 teams. They're all, I believe they're all LLCs. It could be S-Corps, but I doubt it. They're probably L. Like I think they're all, well, I mean, I know we're an LLC. Yeah, we're an LLC. So 30 LLCs, if you're getting paid by how many? How many are big leagues, minor leagues? Somebody's probably kept track over the years. Well, where would we be on pace for? Because it's alarming. Because remember, thank God these guys come back, but they're gone for at least a year. So if you had, if you if, if you're just having Tommy John, you're not coming back until, and they've, we've now, as much as people want to hurry back, we don't really want to hurry guys back. I mean, you're out till next year, and probably a good chance you're not a contributor till the summer if everything goes right. I just looked at it. I did a quick Google search. Tommy John surgeries per year. Uh, in 2021, 32 MLB players had Tommy John surgery, and according to this, in, 20, in 2022, 28 have had Tommy John surgery. So that makes a grand total of 562 players that have had Tommy John surgery since 1974. When? Tommy John had it. Who? What did he ever do? So, but Tommy John didn't have Tommy John surgery. He just had surgery. He just had UCL (laughs) replacement (laughs) surgery, but then became Tommy John surgery. Who was the surgeon? That did the first Tommy John surgery. Let's see. Uh, that would be oh Frank Job. Job did it. Yeah, Doctor Job. Is Job still with us? Because uh, that surgery was what nineteen seventy something. Nineteen seventy four. So I gotta think if Job did the surgery in seventy four. Uh, he passed away in two thousand fourteen. Oh, all right. So he he lived a long. He was eighty eight. That's a good life, man. Think about that. Think about, all right. Well, Tommy John had no choice. Like, your career is over. So, I got an idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a ligament out of your butt. And we're going to take the ligament in your elbow, which is torn. We're going to pull it out. Because, you know, know, right near that little crevice, that little canyon right there? 
That's where it is, right? And a funny bone, when you hit it, it hurts. Ah, it's your funny bone, they say. They take it and they pull it out, and then they take that ligament from your butt, from the, you take it from your thumb. They've done a lot of different ligaments. You take it from a pig or whatever, and you do like a bow tie, where you and you you bring the ligament together, do like a bow tie and secure it and make it stronger, and it's on the outside of that crevice now. Tommy John surgery. Can you imagine being in that office? I got an idea. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take this ligament out of your buttocks and then do a bow tie on your ligament, sew it back up, and uh, it's gonna hurt like hell for a long time. But maybe someday you'll pitch again. That's Tommy John, like Tommy John the pitcher, who should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's a joke. He's in front of the program. 188 career no decisions, I believe. Yeah, would have easily had over 100, 300 wins. Yeah, 288 wins as it was. What, what, the fact that he did the surgery, came back and, and competed and won all those games and pitched all those innings, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, what a gamble that was. He didn't have a choice, but this was a surgery that no one had ever done before. When he had the surgery, Tommy John was 31 years old. He didn't come back until 1976. So from age, so from age 33 to the end of his career when he was uh, only 46 years old, uh, Tommy, um, I was trying to see how many games he end, what ended up winning or what his numbers ended up being. you got to remember, we're not talking about baseball players who were multi-multi-millionaires then. You want to talk about, t- you want to talk about taking the gamble on a, on a surgery? Um, it was really easy for him because – Baseball didn't work out. Tommy John was getting a job. From the, so from 1976 when he was 33 until the end of his career in 1989, Tommy John won 164 games after he had Tommy John surgery. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. No. He, he has 288 wins. And he won 164 of them after he had the surgery at age 33. And he has 188 no decisions. So yeah. he's not that far from three. And, and the writers, this is what Bozo's, he had a surgery that literally changed athletes' lives in multiple sports. Baseball players are not the only guys that get Tommy John surgery. And the writers didn't have the foresight for 15 years to put him into the Hall of Fame. And veterans, veterans committees haven't put him in the Hall of Fame. Usually That's t- unbelievable. Usually you can find out how much that guy got on. Oh, we got You got to pay off my tees. Yeah. Who did we just call up? That is a former infielder, now turned reliever, and I oversold it as the next Trevor Hoffman. That'd be Lucas Irsig from San Jose. What? And, and Menlo College. That's where he got drafted from. He went to Menlo College and Berkeley, but. He was dra- it says he was drafted from Menlo College. And still Brewer's second-round pick in 2016 from Menlo College. But he's from San Jose. I don't know what high school. I should probably look that up. San- I'm going to the uh, San Jose Mercury News. San Jose Natives set to make his MLB debut. Where did he go to high school? Da-da-da. Bay Area native. Grew up. Westmont High School? Yeah. In uh, Campbell. Yeah. Grew up in Campbell. There you go. Campbell, a great spot to eat. Yeah, there's a lot some, of good restaurants in Campbell. There are some good spots Downtown there. Campbell's fun. Um, 
And I know a lot of people watching the East Bay. They go, look, Campbell. Yes, there are places outside the East Bay. Do you know that? Outside of San Francisco and the East Bay, there's other parts of the Bay Area. You may not know that. Oh, they were asking me. I'm like, well, I, I do live here. So yeah. <laughs> You live in Japantown. <laughs> yeah, there's a Japantown in San Jose. Do you know that? Yeah, there's a lot of good you food there. there. There's a lot of good food there that I don't eat. Uh, but the scary part is, and to, to – to, well, once again, Earsick, I was just making the joke. He was an infielder turned reliever. Trevor Hoffman was a shortstop at the University of Arizona, turned pitcher, turned Hall of Famer. So maybe, just maybe. Well, that you're, you know, also as a former Matt shortstop. Matt Bush. You know, also as a former shortstop, became a very good starting pitcher, but can't say healthy. Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom. Maybe he should have stayed a shortstop. <laughs> uh, here, here's the thing that, uh, speaking of elbows, Mason Miller on the shelf. Zach Jackson, who would you say in crunch time is the A's best option? I, I would say he's probably the A's. I would. I think with the numbers, you can say he's the best reliever on the staff. 15-day EL. EL. 15-day IL retroactive to May 17th for flexor tendon strain in his right elbow. Zach Neal has been designated for assignment, but that right there. Another elbow, as we're just talking about surgeries. Another elbow. Another issue. This is everywhere in the game. It's everywhere. And if Irsa gets in the game, he'll be the 43rd player used by the A's. The next closest team, the Mets have used 40 players. Remember, we used 64 players last year. So, wait a minute. The team with the highest payroll in baseball and the team with the lowest payroll in baseball? Are leading the sport in players used. Get out of here. It's what I saw here. Let me just double check. I'll double check the note I saw. We're at 42 and they're at 40. We're 42 and they're at 40, but once Irsi gets in, it'll be 43. Well, he's not in yet. Yeah, so. So we're close. 42 and 40. That is unbelievable. Yep, Matt's 40. This, this might be the year. It just might be. This might be the year that people finally understand payroll. Buying players doesn't buy culture. Buying players doesn't always buy wins. The team with the highest payroll in the history of the game is about to use the same amount of players that the A's, who are having a historically bad year and have used a ton of players. How many of the Padres used? So I'm looking at right now. The Padres have only used 35. But still, that's crazy. Teams used to use 31, 32, 33. Yeah. 35? That's insane. Well, the, the, the model I guess you could look at, and I could pull it up real quick, how many have the Rays used? Rays have used a lot of pitchers, which is not a shocker. Not at all. But speaking of that. Yeah, we will get into that. By the way, it's today. an anniversary today, folks. Rays have used like 28 pitchers, something like that. They've used 38 players overall. It's a lot. Yeah. That's just a few off the A's. Yeah, so just when you think what's happening with the A's and all these different players, not that far behind. 25, including uh, position players. Do you have the sound ready for our fans to hear? We, we have an anniversary. Uh, but, I'll, but I'll let you get it up. I'll, on this date, the great Eric Davis, Eric the Red, made his debut. One of the most amazing power speed combos in baseball history in 1987. Eric, da I loved Eric the Red. Eric Davis hit 37 home runs, drove in 100 RBIs, and stole 50 bases. Is that a good year? That's a really good year. There's only like two guys that have ever done 37 that. 37 home runs, 100 RBIs, and stole 50 bags on that horrific turf at R Riverfront Stadium. Authoring one of only two 30-50 seasons. The other, 
Barry Bonds, 33 home runs, 52 stolen bases in 1990. All right, on this date, 2018, nobody had any idea what the hell was going on. Former A, Sergio Romo would take the mound against the Halos. I want to say this was at the Big A. It was. So, Rays, Halos, Big A, Anaheim, California, Sergio Romo would start the game. Well, after 588 appearances in the big leagues, a four-time All-Star makes a start. And he faces Zach Cozart. First pitch is in there, a strike. He could not wipe the smile off his face. He could hardly talk. He was so geeked up for this. you got to really feel happy for Sergio Roma. Like he said, check off the box. I'm going to get to start a Major League Baseball game. There's a cut and a miss. He got Cozart to chase that one. And a cut and a miss. He got him to chase that one. Took a little off and a big break. We'll see how it goes tonight. Swing and a miss. He All right, we got out the side. Last one. Three up and three down go the Angels against Sergio Romo. How long is that? Uh, 45. We need to cut that down. I want to use that for my third inning hit in the broadcast today. Okay. Uh, Sergio Romo, first ever start. Three up, three down, I'll, stri- I'll strike out. <laughs> but it wasn't a start. It was the opener. The birth of the opener. It's technically in the stats, it's a start, but it was the birth of the opener. Now, why ha- had a reliever started a game before? Yes. Okay? But it wasn't intentional. Like, we have seen starters on their day throughout baseball history go down to the bullpen, warm up, and something happened. And then you're like, all right, well, somebody's got to start the game. So, Joe Schmo, get ready. You're starting. That's not what we're talking about. That was a strategy that was based upon injury. It was a, it was a, what are we going to do? And we had seen game staff before where something's wrong medically, something's wrong sick, guy shows up to the ballpark, has the flu. You know, let's face it, guys in the NBA, guys in hockey, guys in Major League Baseball, they get food poisoning more than the average person because they eat out more. They have more food. That it's just, it's just it, it happens. So weird stuff goes on. Guy can't go today. We, 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 we've got to have somebody pitch. Get get whoever up. You're going to pitch. This, though, was a design strategy of we're going to throw this guy because we don't think our, we didn't have a name for him then. We still have never. We called him the bridge guy. We called him the long guy. We called him a lot of different things. But this guy stinks when he starts. But we know he can go deep into games. But when he starts out for some reason, it just doesn't go right. So what if we have a reliever come in, get one, two, three, be a quick economical inning, now we bring in what you would know as the starter. So he can get us deeper into the game, and now that he's gotten us deeper into the game and we've used a bullpen guy early, we're now hoping the deeper he goes, the less of the back of the bullpen, and probably the back of the bullpen is a little taxed too, is the less of the back of the bullpen we got to use. Because this guy, if I can get one, it started at one, then we saw one, two, 
well, my God, if I get six out of the the long guy, the real starter is what we should call him, I'm now in the eighth or ninth inning. The bulk guy. The bulk guy. The long guy. The the bridge guy. The whatever the hell you want. Yeah, to call and the him. guy that you saw always follow Romo and our good friend and Astro Ryan Stanick, who made 29 starts that year. Romo made five that year. After he only made three, he went that this on this date five years ago he did it. Then he pitched the next day, so back to back days, and then he did it three more times. Stanick did it. 29 times in 27, but the guy that would come in all the time after them is former Ray, now Royal, Ryan Yarbrough, or uh, Yoni, Tur- um, Yoni Torinos, who I believe is still on the Rays right now, but those are the two bulk guys they would use a lot. Yeah, after. Torinos is still there. Yeah, those are the two guys they would use after the opener a lot. I remember when we had Ryan Stanek on the program from the field. And the first time. The first time, and I said, you know, you're such an interesting case because – how, if you go to, like, arbitration, I mean, if the team is going to use this against you, because the Rays are notorious for using things against their own players so they don't have to pay them. We just saw it with Corbin Burns uh, in the offseason with the Brewers. Well, if you take me to arbitration, if we go to arbitration and you're using this, hey, he started, we mean he's a starter, it's one inning, he came and pitched one inning, why does it matter when he starts? Well, then all of a sudden, I'm going to tell you, Jack, Kevin Cash, you're using it against me, and you're using it so you don't have to pay me. I'm never doing it again. Yeah, it's fair. And I do do not. I'm not. I'm not. Like, you would have a legit. You'd be like, well, he's the manager. He can tell you what to do. Well, there's a lot of there is some truth to that. But then there is also some, you know, you still there's a player's union. You still have to do what's in the best interest of the player. And if you're just trying to hurt a player in his future earnings, man, they have a grievance. You could have a grievance against the team. If you're going to say you're going to start me and this this stat goes into the starts and you're saying it's a valuable weapon, but then we go to arbitration and then you use it against me, I'm flipping you the bird. So I had Ryan Stanek on the program and asked him about that. He didn't know at the time. He's like, you know what? It's a great question, if you remember back. He's like, we're going to see. Like, am I going to get paid for starting this game? Because it's weird. I'm a reliever. I come out in the first inning. I get one, two, three. My day's over. And now I'm sitting around for hours doing nothing. It was an it was an interesting job. And I, right now, and dang it, I forgot to ask Mark Kotze about that. I should, I should do I blame you? Um, text him right now and ask. I mean, you're the producer. I'm the executive vice producer. <laughs> vice producer. Wow. Is that a new title? What is my title? Uh, executive producer. No. Yeah, some like senior, senior producer. Senior producer. Yeah. Text got say. Uh, what time is it? It's, it's six an hour to game time. Six o'clock. I have an idea. I hate the opener. I've always been against it. And it, it, it it's kind of like... What would be something that was a quick fad and went away? Because that's really what the opener was. I mean, I, I want to bust Vince Catronio's you-know-what, because Vince, I'll never forget. Oh, well, the opener, you know, a team like the Astros has a liberal rotation. They, they'll never do it. And, like, three weeks later they did it. Like, everybody did. There wasn't a team that didn't, that didn't do the opener. Everybody did. It's like that, but it was a quick fad. 
So whatever, like in fashion or whatever is something that people are doing, a dance or whatever that like shows up, everybody's doing it, and then it goes away real fast. That's kind of what the opener was. Now the Rays, it's funny that the Rays, who are the king of the openers, they're 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 now their starters lead M- MLB in ERA at two point nine four. Um, obviously, it's not something they wanted to do. They did it at a at a necessity. Hey, it's Moneyball, man. I mean, Billy Bean back in the day would do anything to get a W. He would do anything. But I think Shintaro Fujinami should be a, and it's not the first time I've said it. It's not the first time I've said it on this show. It's not the first time I've said it on on the Clubhouse show, our postgame show. I think, because right now, you have no role for him. You don't want to start him. And you really don't want to bring him in unless you have to in a game that matters. What about, because we've seen him, look up, look up his first inning ERA. We've seen him first inning usually, I mean, there's, it's such a small sample size, but he's usually looks pretty good right out of the gate. So why not start him two times a week? I mean, technically, you could do three. If you're playing seven straight days, he could start. Like, what would that do for Mueller, Waldachuk, Sears? I mean, think about Mason Miller. Think about bringing in Mason Miller, which we'll hope that happens again. But you imagine Mason Miller, Fuji got through two. Mason Miller could pitch the rest of the game. Yeah, it's fair. It's And the opener's kind of – you're right, it's faded away. Um but the Giants used it a, a bunch last year. I think they used it like 17 times or so. Um, Sam Long, one of the A's relievers now, was a, a guy the Giants used as an opener last year. Uh, I'm going to try to find this Fuji first inning. I, I, I love the idea of Fuji being an opener where, all right, Fuji, you're going to be the opener on Monday. You're going to be – I mean, because, look, I mean, we just got off playing how many straight days? And we had, I hope everybody had a good day off yesterday. But we're not going to have another day off. Like, look, we go three in Houston, four straight in Seattle, then three with Houston, and three straight with Atlanta. We don't have a day off until the first. So, all right, Fuji, like tonight. Fuji, you're pitching tonight, one inning. I'm going to bring you back either Monday or Tuesday for one inning, and then I can bring you again back on Friday for another inning. Uh, First inning ERA is 450. All right, what's the oh, second inning? Right. Balloons 11-25. Uh, don't let him pitch the third inning. It's 30.38. Then it goes on to 13. Hey, I can't just bring him in in the fourth inning. He's good in the sixth inning. In three innings in the sixth inning, he has not given up a run. Well, I got I got starters. Or extra innings. I got starters that don't go deep in games. And I got a bullpen – that is horrific. I got a bullpen with an ERA of 6.62. I got a bullpen that has walked 114 batters. Do you know who the next closest team is? Uh, someone that's like, they have like 70-something, 70 74 maybe or something like that, right? Uh, yeah. Is it the White Sox? No. I know the Mets have more walks as a starting rotation now. Uh the Kansas City Royals mm. are the second worst in walks for a bullpen. They've walked 86. We're at 114. They're at 86. 
Starters have given up 51 home runs. The bullpen has given up. No, yeah, starters have given up 51. Um, no, we've given up 51 total. Uh, bullpen has given up 28. No, the team's going to 79 home runs total. So, okay, then starters have given up 51. Yeah, that'd be right, 51 and 28. So starters have given up 51 home runs. We've allowed a home run in 21 straight games. That's 36 total. So my idea is Shintaro Fujinami, get him to go two to three times a week as an opener and give that a shot. And now you're going to be the piggyback. Oh, the piggyback guy. We forgot about the piggyback guy. Uh, I still like bulk guy. The piggyback guy, Waldachuk, Sears, whoever you want to put with him. And I like the idea as a left-hander. You come out, first guy you see, right-handed, throwing gas. Next guy you see, Sears, Muller. Muller doesn't throw gas. Muller is big, but he does not throw gas. Waldachuk, you want to talk about two different release points? Yeah. As Waldachuk's coming from, from way out, you can't see it, but he's from way out here left-handed. And you got Fuji coming from here. Waldachuk coming from here. I mean, that's the angles. That's what I'm talking about. Find me some value for Fuji at $3 million a year because I need some value other than, should we put him in now? I don't know. Rolling the dice. Let's go to the opener. And I can't believe that's coming out of my mouth. Mark the tape. Well, we talked about him on post game the other day because I brought up how bad he was. And how, when, can you actually you know when my can favorite, you bring him in? Whenever you and she, all you guys do is talk about what you talked about on post game. Well, you mentioned you talk talk about post game too, though. Yeah, but I do it all the time. So uh, I'm just copying you. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Watch. You think Jessica will mention what she said on Sunday or on Wednesday? Today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it most yes, most likely. Oh, I I would I would bet highly on it. <laughs> well, I said the other day, but I try to do. I mean, I can't remember what I say on what shows, but I know I mentioned it in the past, and it doesn't seem so crazy now. No, I mean the 450 area in the first inning is. Better than any other innings. That's sixth. And, you can't just bring him in the pitch sixth inning. And, and the reality to it is, wait a minute. Oh, my God. I'm way over. Yeah. We got to get to Kotze. Yeah. Uh, and the point, too, is, folks, is that let's say he does get into this rhythm where he goes two, maybe three times a week as the opener. That might be a little aggressive. Is that a little aggressive? No. I don't um, think so. He gets used to starting in games more, and then all of a sudden maybe he can be a legit starter. Because right now all you're doing is putting him in the bullpen, and you're like, mm, when do we bring him in? You're, you're, hope, you're hoping and praying. I'm trying to develop a role for him. This is the year. Let's develop. Let's find out. I mean, Aletmus Diaz is playing short again today. Correct. Why? And there was a day off yesterday. Why? Well, revenge series. Let's go back to Houston. He's hitting a buck 67. Yeah, it's not good. Oh, excuse me. Buck 65. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. All right, earlier today, we were able to catch up with the skipper, Mark Kotze. It's now time for the Mark Kotze Show right here on A's Cast, brought to you by nestbedding.com. Check out nestbedding.com for all your bedding needs, whether you need a mattress, you need a pillow, you need sheets, you name it. They got locations in the Bay Area. Use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off your order. Go to nestbedding.com. Mark Kotze, how are you in Houston? I'm doing well this morning. Just uh, 
prepping for tonight in this series against the Astros and, you know, looking forward to a good weekend. You got a, a you you got a road trip here that's in Houston, in Seattle, two teams you know really well. How does that work for preparation? Is that a little bit easy for the ball club? And do you like getting back into hey, we're playing AOS teams? Yeah, you know, it, it is a little easier. You, you're very familiar with both teams. Um, you know, we've got a lot of history against them. Uh, last year, you know, the Astro team, we actually played pretty well against them. I think we're the only team last year to to sweep the Astros during the season, the regular season. So uh, encouraging sign there. And, uh, you know, although this is a new group and uh, we talk a lot about this group that, that we have here, um, I, you know, I'm curious, Townie, and, and I don't know the exact number, but uh, as to from just the experience level where our roster fits, are we, you know, one of the youngest rosters with from an experience standpoint in the major leagues? I'm, I'm not exactly sure because I don't really look into that, but, uh, you know, we do have a lot of young guys on this roster and we're playing against the World Series champions this weekend. Well, I can tell you right now, Cody is looking it up. We'll be able to tell you on baseball reference, not only how old your team is overall, how old your starters are, how old your your position players are. Uh, there's no question that you feel at times a lot younger than you were. Yeah, you know, I mean, this group of position players, let's just dive into the position players. I, you know, I read an article this morning on Tampa, right? And, and they're obviously... Uh, the best team in baseball right now. But if you go back to their roster last year, uh, their position player group was, I think, the fifth youngest in the big leagues. And they took their lumps last year. They really did. And, uh, you know, it's it's one thing when you introduce a player, a young player to the big leagues um, for the first time. It's another when you introduce four, five, six, seven of them for the first time. And, you know, the the learning process and the learning curve, it, it – doesn't happen quickly. And, uh, you know, for that group in Tampa last year, it took them, you know, quite a while uh, to learn that process. And they took their lumps and they, they spent an off season. I read where, you know, they, they adjusted, they made adjustments and they came out and those guys that didn't have success, you know, I think it was the Josh Lowe, uh, the Paredes who are, are big contributors this year to this season's success are, are having great years uh, for that ball club. Cody, do you have the answer for us? Yeah, the answer is. Give me one second here. Um, the, the, answer, other, the other thing too, you know, the other thing too, like when it's not just an age based, right? It's actually like days in the big leagues. It's like, you know, I go through my media guide on the plane, and I'm looking at 52 days in the big leagues, 56 days in the big leagues, you know, zero days in the big leagues, 159 for Brett Rooker, um, you know, and and so, and we look at Brett, you know, yeah, as a young, you know, player, but. Uh, there is some experience there, you know, so uh, he's, the, he's the ultimate example because you're like, well, he's 28 years old. You're like, yeah, but he hasn't really played in the big league. So it's like he's like one of your young guys. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and so um, you know, these kids are it, it's difficult because you'd like to tell them to make adjustments. And when you're telling them to make adjustments, their fear is if they're going to fail for a little while, they won't be around there'll be someone else to replace them. So uh, in-season adjustments are difficult from that mindset, especially when you're young and especially when you've got five, six, seven of them, you know, in a group that are, that are trying to establish themselves as major leaguers. And it's, it's different than the minor leagues. You could take four or five days in the minor leagues and say, okay, I'll, I'll take a break. Let's just put him over here and, 
and hide him for a minute, you know, and uh, and let him work on his swing. It's it's every day. The grind is every day. You're facing the best in the in the world every day, and and that's what they're going through right now. So right now, you're third youngest among pitchers in the American League, and you're eighth in age among hitters. So it's uh, twenty eight point one for pitchers age-wise and 28 for hitters and yeah, that's, where, that, that's age again that's not playing experience that's not days that quantify everything that we look at you know in in terms of experience like you're talking about age alone and when you just mentioned rooker being 28 he's only got 159 days in the big leagues it's not a 28 year old that's been in the big leagues for three or four years you know that's had a learning curve that that has some experience so so when, when you start to look at your lineup every day, knowing that, yeah, young players are the future, young guys that are going to get us out of this, but yet you do have some veteran guys. How do you balance the playing time with vets got to get theirs, but yet you need to see the young players grow? Yeah, you know, we brought in these veteran players, Aledmus Diaz, Jace Peterson, um, Tony Kemp, who's been here with us. Uh, to provide that that veteran leadership and experience. And, you know, unfortunately for those three guys, this season hasn't started off the way that they've particularly wanted it to and from a performance standpoint. So you have to balance the performance as well with the with the veteran guys and and getting these younger guys opportunities. You know, Jordan Diaz is a prime example. Um, you know, he's in the lineup playing second base right now, getting his opportunities to establish himself. And Tony, you know, for Tony, he's, you know, struggled early. Um, you could see a dip in a little bit of confidence. And, uh, you know, the other on, on Wednesday afternoon, you know, leaving him in against the left hander to hit was was more about trying to build that confidence. And he hit a nice line drive up the middle and came back and gave me a high five and, and was like, hey, man, you know, thanks for leaving me in there. It's like. Dude, don't let me have more confidence in you than than you have yourself. You're a good player. But when you struggle at this level and your expectation level is that you need to perform and you need to provide that leadership amongst the seven other guys in the lineup that are first year guys or less than, you know, a full season of experience, uh, the pressure is real for those guys. And it's not going to get easier because uh, talking with our good buddy down in Stockton, Alex Jensen, I know Seth Brown is there today he's going to get more at bats tomorrow down with the stockton ports but before you know it you're going to have seth brown brownie back and that's a big bat for you but once again a more veteran guy now you got ramon loriano now you know the young outfielders because i can tell you right now i ruiz i love seeing playing uh, and of course jj bladet watching him play has been special yeah so the group gets a little bit more challenging in terms of playing time and and you know it's going to be somewhat of a performance-based um, issue that we that we you know look into in terms of the amount of playing time guys are getting, but you know and you, and I love I love it when you refer to Seth Brown as a veteran because he hasn't hit arbitration yet, and yet those are the guys again that we're talking about as our veterans. So you know for Seth, he's still in in this transition of establishing himself. You know he had a good year last year. Um, he wants to improve on that year. He's been frustrated sitting on the disabled list or, or injured list. Um, you know, over the last four and a half, five weeks. And uh, it was a good sign the other night. I checked in on the Stockton uh, game and, you know, he had two hits. And uh, the biggest thing was that he felt good. So um, he'll go, you know, a couple more days there. And like you said, you know, his goal is to rejoin us in Seattle. And if, if all things go well, then there's a decision to be made, not just about playing time, but, but who goes off the roster. And, uh, you know, and again, 
um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that point. And generally in baseball, things happen prior to that. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Ryan Noda has impressed me so much. I, I've loved this kid ever since we started talking to him down in spring training. And, you know, I call it such a mature eye at the plate, his ability to know his strike zone, to get on base. I don't think people realize the kind of athlete he is, the way he runs, a guy his size. The other day, we saw him go all the way down almost towards the other team's bullpen on a pop fly in foul territory. I haven't seen too many first basemen get that far down the line. Just talk about what you've learned about your first baseman. Now, this kid, he loves to play the game, and there's there's a leader in there. It's just a matter of time. And, uh, you know, last night I saw the group at dinner. Uh, it was Noda, Rooker, uh, Allen, and, uh, and Blade which is, you know, all guys in talk about Rooker, um, you know, with the, with the one year and or 159 days of experience um, as, as the guy that should have paid the bill. But I think they went Dutch. So uh, we'll have to talk to him about that today. So, uh, but yeah, Ryan, Ryan is um, competing. He's learning. Uh, he's open-minded, which is great. He's, he's, you know, working uh, every day to, to improve and, uh, and, you can't ask for anything more, you know, and what he's done to this point, uh, I think, you know, would you like to see him, you know, hit the ball a little more? Sure. But he's on base. His OPS is over 800. And, and that's, you know, that's great. It really is for a young player. How many big tabs did you get hit with in your career? <laughs> Plenty. And my rookie year when I tried to pay the first tab and I was amongst Bobby Bonilla and Gary Sheffield and I threw my $100 bill on the counter to pay a bar tab, it got ripped in half and handed back to me. I taped it up for sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was I was not allowed to pay a tab my rookie year. Uh, did you have someone that took you out and got you suits and uh, helped you get ready for the big leagues? Yeah, I did. I mean, my first year I was amongst, you know, some some great players in, in Gary Sheffield and Moises Alou and Bobby Bonilla and Jeff Conine. Um, you know, I can remember going into New York and and being taken to a suit shop that was just down the street um, from from the hotel and, and being bought my first suit. And the gentleman that owned the store actually gave me another one, which was great business because every year I went into New York, I went into the suit shop and started paying for my own and bringing younger players in and, and buying them suits uh, and, and giving them the same treatment that I got. There's such that special relationship in, in baseball. We always think about, ah, oh, the veterans are all over the rookies, but it, there is that, you know, maybe whether the rookie needs it or not, there's just something about that, that bonding that you end up having with players when you say, hey, let me teach you the ropes of what it's like to travel, what it's like to dress. How do you act off the field? We talk so much about on the field, but there's a way to teach guys how to be a big leaguer off the field. And, of course, you've been a part of that now for a long, long time. Yeah, I've been blessed. I've been blessed to be here uh, at this level for you know, the majority of my professional career. Um, and, uh, you know, it does mean something to, to have that leadership and to be able to connect with these guys. And for me, on my end, you know, the, the mentoring uh, is a part of my job. Um, and I, you know, hope that at some point throughout uh, these young players' careers, uh, if they're with us or if they're not, that uh, they look back and, and say, you know, hey, I appreciate what you did for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing about to be, to be in the manager, right? It's kind of like being a parent. You got to be the, 
you you got to be there for him, and sometimes you got to kick him in the butt. <laughs> yeah, there's some of that too, definitely. Um, you know, and um, but that's that balance that you're talking about and that leadership uh, that comes with you know this position. It's it's you you definitely need to be um, you know in, intimate in that relationship with them, but being able to be uh, you know send the send the strong message when when things aren't you know the way you want them or the way that that is expected. Uh, whether it's in the clubhouse or on the field. All righty, three days in Houston, four in Seattle. It's going to be a fun week all against the American League West. Good luck to you, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. That's the Mark Kotze Show brought to you by Nest Betting. Go to nestbetting.com for your mattress, for your pillows, for your sheets, for all your betting needs, or do you? Or you can go to their locations in the Bay Area. The Mark Kotze Show brought to you by nestbetting.com. Ah, I love doing the Cot Show every single week. We would like to thank Moses Messina from MLB Network. We'd like to thank Eno Saris uh, from The Athletic, our national baseball columnist. We'd like to thank Mark Kotze, and we would like to thank the great Jeff Blum from the Houston Astros, former Cal Bear, joining us here on A's Cast Live. Hope you enjoyed the show. A's baseball, A's and Astros coming up next. We'll see everybody back on Monday taking on those stinking Mariners at four o'clock. We're back on Pacific time. Yeah. That's we'll central stuff. Don't be bringing me that central stuff. Yeah. We'll be back on Monday at four o'clock. Thank you for watching A's and listening to A's cast live. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to linksoul.com. That's linksoul.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.